a Wendy's Frosty is something special. And for a limited time, a Frosty is just 50 cents. An American classic for a classic price. It's not quite a milkshake, not quite an ice cream cone. It's definitely chocolate or vanilla. That choice is on you. Use a spoon or a french fry. Anything goes. A Frosty makes summer special. Yep, there's nothing quite like a Frosty. And there's nothing quite like this deal. A Frosty for 50 cents. Get yours before this deal melts away. Small Frosty at participating Wendy's for a limited time. Blog Talk Radio. everybody and uh, we are now here live uh, at BAMS radio uh, we're doing this a little bit different this week on a Tuesday night uh, our uh, producer extraordinaire and my co-host Thomas the Rock Watts will be traveling en route to Dallas Texas so we decided to knock this out tonight uh, I'm your host Rudy Armin uh, here for another edition of BAMS radio sorry I missed the show last week uh, I had a uh, a prior commitment with high school football as everyone knows it's getting gotten cranked up I want to thank uh, thomas and redfish and the whole crew for uh, uh stepping in and we provided you some audio that we thought you would enjoy as well uh but thomas uh, it's uh, finally here and you and i'll discuss later this matchup with usc but right now we are efforting to uh bring on a, a tro- trojan beat writer ryan abraham from uh, inside usc football part of the scout network Yes, I, I am working on that, and just just so we're uh, we're clear, and I can edit this later, we can release this on Thursday. That's probably what's going to okay. happen. Okay, absolutely. But, yeah, well, I, 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 I I'm guess... working on Mr. Abraham. Can you tell everyone about him while I'm getting him on the air? Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is we're going to be talking to Ryan Abraham, uh, part of the Scout.com network uh, inside USC football. Uh, he's a he's a multi-talented guy because he also has uh, LARamsReport.com. Because as you know, uh, the St. Louis Rams have now moved back uh, to Los Angeles. He's also a Heisman Trophy voter. He's been the longtime owner and publisher of Inside USC Football or excuse me, uscfootball.com. It's always been one of the more preeminent sites covering the Trojans. I've perused, uh, pardon my French, perused that website uh, many times myself uh, over the years. And now Alabama will be playing the Trojans uh, for the first time, really, I guess, uh, since Rodney Pete and those guys uh, back in uh, the Aloha Bowl many moons ago, I think in 1985. So this will be the first uh, – uh, meeting between Alabama and USC, and uh, hopefully it will go as well as that one did for Alabama's sake. But USC is a very talented football program, and honestly, uh, I think is the uh, the two most preeminent programs uh, in uh, college football when you talk about tradition uh, with USC, all their national championships and uh, all the Heisman Trophy winners. Uh, just a just a storied program, uh, and of course, risen to prominence under uh, John McKay, who uh, the late John McKay, who was one of the the, the, uh, the greatest quipsters of all time, but also an outstanding football coach. 
and he and Coach Paul Bear Bryant uh, had a very close relationship. Played uh, many a time and had some classic matchups with USC uh, and Alabama hooking up. So it's going to be uh, just a tradition-rich game. And uh, from what I understand, this game was mainly put together also to kind of pay homage uh, to uh, Sam Bam Cunningham and what they did uh, to the University of Alabama in helping integration in college football. Alabama had already begun integration, but – uh, what Coach Bryant made a point when he brought USC uh, to Birmingham, and they, they got to sa- a chance to see Sam the Bam Cunningham, uh, the older brother of Randall Cunningham, run all over uh, the University of Alabama. So uh, we look forward to speaking with Ryan soon. The, uh, he will be at practice at USC, so hopefully we can get him on the line and uh, everything will be uh, – will be uh, uh, okay, uh, good to go. I think we're about to have him on right now. Uh, let's uh, let's go. And we will go to our uh, Sunbelt Tents hotline. Uh, we'll be honored to welcome for the first time the BAMS radio, Ryan Abraham from uh, uscfootball.com. Ryan, welcome tonight. Thank you for joining us uh, live from uh, the Southern Cal practice. Oh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, just uh, walking outside. So if there's a band playing behind me, the, there'll be some horns blowing from the practice field. So I apologize for all that. But right here in college football is just around the corner. Yes, it is, Ryan. And I know you're excited, too, about this matchup. And uh, I know uh, it's been one that's been anticipated since uh, it was lined up a couple of seasons ago. Nick Saban's program and Southern California's undergone some changes. Uh, I guess for our listeners that may not be as familiar uh, it's been a kind of tumultuous last 12 months for the USC football program and their and their Trojan family. Uh, they've had a change at athletic director, and also uh, for the second time in a few seasons, you've had an interim uh, head football coach. But this one, uh, Clay Helton, elevated to head coach. It's been not even just the 12 months. The last five years, really, since the NCAA sanctions have hit, there's been so right. many crazy storylines around this program and just a lot of drama. And I think a lot the, a big reason why. Uh, USC decided to hire Clay Helton is because they wanted to bring some stability to the program. And having, you know, Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian, there were certainly some immature moments when they were the head coach at USC. Uh, Clay, Clay Helton is more like the adult in the room. So he's an unproven head coach. And to, to, to go up against a guy like Nick Saban in your very first game as a you know, permanent head coach in your first full year, it's a tall order. Uh, but I think that's what USC wanted. They wanted to bring someone that would just be more of the adult in the room because of all the drama and turmoil around the program the last few years. Yeah, that's well said, Ryan. And it was really bizarre watching what happened to Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, he had been, a, uh, you know, along with Lane Kiffin, the co-offensive coordinators in that run with Pete Carroll. Uh, that was uh, such a, a uh, storied run in college football. I think the second uh, best run in the modern era next to what Alabama has done now. Uh, but uh, in the early two th- into to mid 2000s to around 2002 until through the 2005 season, uh, I you know they were they, they were the preeminent program in college football. But as you said, the probation had really hurt them. Sarkeesian had rebuilt Washington, uh, then came back uh, to USC. Now they've uh, he has departed. Uh, kind of ironic uh, that Lane Kiffin will be coaching on the other side now for Alabama. Oh, certainly. And there's a lot of USC fans kind of waiting to see that matchup. And, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin was fired under weird circumstances on the tarmac yes. in the middle of the season. So losing <laughs> two head coaches at a major program in the middle of the season in a row, that's obviously not an ideal situation. Steve Sarkeesian only lasted 18 games at USC. It's crazy. And, and you talked about it, that Pete Carroll run. The USC administration was trying to recreate that by hiring two former Pete Carroll assistants. You know, he went to seven straight BCS bowl games and won six of them, which is absolutely crazy. 
But, you know, hiring assistant coaches like that obviously didn't work out so well. They went with again with Clay Helton. We'll kind of see. But he gets to face his former boss in, uh, in Lane Kiffin. He's going to be the offensive coordinator on the other side. No question about that, uh, Ryan. And, and I wanted to ask you about what kind of style could we be looking for? We, we know uh, that Lane Kiffin liked to throw the football, a dynamic offensive guy. Steve Sarkeesian cut from the same cloth, more of a spread type attack. What style of football should we be looking for uh, under Clay Helton on Saturday? I mean, it's a great question because Clay Helton was the offensive coordinator for both of those guys. It wasn't the play caller for most of the time. It was more like he was running other people's offenses than running, running his own. Now he stepped away from the offensive coordinator job. We're not really sure really what to expect. Now, we're talking to him and, and watching him practice and stuff. It does look like it's going to be a bit of more of a, a run-first offense, but they're going to incorporate a lot of elements you saw with spread. Uh, probably not as high tempo as Steve Sarkeesian would like to go. There won't be a lot of huddling. There will be a lot of looking to the sidelines and kind of going at that pace. And with uh, Tyson Helton uh, coming in from Western Kentucky last year, Clay Hilton's brother, probably a few more elements like that. I think they're going to spread the ball around a little bit more. It was a lot of Juju Smith last year in the passing game. I think they're going to try to be a run-first offense and utilize the tight ends more. That's something that's just been a forgotten position at USC lately. We saw them do it a lot in the spring, not as much in the fall, but I expect when the, the season rolls around, they'll try to get those tight ends involved more. It's been a staple of USC offenses in the past. They got away from it the last couple of years. And, and, you know, you mentioned offense, and, and the big storyline, at least from Alabama's perspective, was the issue with Chad Wheeler, the Trojans' left tackle. Can, can you update us on his condition and how things change if he were to be out for the game this Saturday? Yeah, so Clay Helton announced yesterday that he's uh, not going to start. Um, I still think he's going to play. We're watching practice today. We're not allowed to report on what's going on in practice right now, but uh, my, my, it looks like he's probably going to at least be able to play. Uh, he's an important part of the offense, uh, being a senior. I think defensive on the offensive line, but both the, the tackle positions, you have two seniors there. And behind them, you know, you've got a sophomore and a couple of freshmen. So it's not the deepest at tackle. And Tuma Doga, who's a SEC guy, you know, Powder Springs, Georgia product, he's a true sophomore. Uh, he comes in, he's been, he's been named as a starter at left tackle. Now, for him to get a start like that situation against the Alabama front, obviously not an ideal situation. Uh, we'll have to see what happens. But I think Chad Wheeler will probably be available to play. He has plantar fasciitis, which is really painful for your foot. He's had some injections. Uh, so they do expect him to come back and get some work this week, but it just wasn't going to be enough to earn that first start. So, you know, it, it, it'll be tough, I think, for USC having a, a young offensive lineman at the left tackle, a really key spot protecting for the brand-new quarterback, Max Brown. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Alabama leads this series five games to two, but again, uh, has not uh, played since 1985. So it's going to be neat to see these two Titans hook up. Uh, and Ryan, do they finally feel like they're past uh, the sanctions and then they've got their numbers back where they want them from the standpoint of uh, having some depth uh, at Southern Cal? Yeah, it's a lot different. If you look at this roster as opposed to the last couple of years, uh, guys that were recruited scholarship players, I counted 81. So you're allowed to have up to 85. Uh, so there's four former walk-ons that were given scholarships. They've used the blue shirt rule uh, lately, try to bring some more guys in. It was really more about the, how many guys can you bring in for each class, and that was the limiting factor to get back up there. But with this last recruiting class, I thought they finished really strong, above 80 now. So it, it looks a lot different. Uh, when Clancy Pendergast, the defensive coordinator, was here a couple years ago, those USC defenses played hard, but they had 12 or 13 guys that would play. Now there's going to be a much deeper rotation. So, you know, there's a couple spots here and there that will be thinner. 
But for the most part, it should be more like a regular college football program, which really they haven't been. They've been having to do more with less the last few years because of the sanctions. And then you talked about them being more of a run-first offense. Uh, they have had, they talk about their tailbacks. I know they feel good about their backfield. Uh, you know, Ronald Jones uh, set the uh, USC freshman record, but from what I understand from just uh, kind of studying and talking to people, he may not even be the starter. Yeah, Justin Davis uh, is a senior. Uh, he's more of an all-around back. And uh, he started last year, even though Jones uh, had more yards. They both ran for over 900. But, you know, it's, it's fairly even. Jones is just that more electric guy. And it's funny, you yeah, anytime they're running the football and it's not Ronald Jones, I get tweets on my, you know, my Twitter. Hey, why are you running the football? He's just kind of the, the lat, you know, he's he's from Texas, uh, Texas product. He's the closest thing I think to like a Reggie Bush type guy that USC's had in quite a while. So he's really exciting to watch, and I think he's kind of a fan favorite. Justin Davis is pretty steady. I think he catches the ball better out of the backfield, and he's a better blocker. So having those guys. I think they're going to both you see a steady diet of both of them, you know, as long as they stay healthy. And they're going to have to rely on that run game, especially with a new quarterback. Uh, they have a lot of weapons uh, on the offensive side, and they have a strong offensive line. So I think they'll rely on that run game and maybe set things up with a pass and just make it a little easier transition for the new quarterback, Max Brown. And I, that's a great segue, uh, Ryan. Talk about Max Brown. Uh, he showed remarkable patience in now being a redshirt junior. Uh, four years ago, was the number one quarterback in America coming out of Washington. Um, a lot of quarterbacks would have transferred, but he stayed through the process, and now it's his job. Uh, but talk about him. And will, will we see the mercurial Sam Darnold, who uh, had a lot of buzz. Many thought uh, he might have a shot to win the job. Max Brown holding him off. Do you think we'll see two quarterbacks on Saturday, ideally? Or if Max Brown's playing well, is it just going to be a, a, a solo act? Yeah, so Clay Helton said that Sam Darnold is going to come in for some special packages. He's more of the athletic guy, so I think you'll see him come in at maybe some red zone spots where you could use a, a quarterback that, that you know takes off and runs every once in a while. So I think you probably see him uh, in the Alabama game a series or two, you know, depending how it goes. But for Max Brown, he definitely was very patient, and you don't see that a lot with athletes. They, they come in, if they're not playing as a freshman, they want to go somewhere else. I and mean, he waited. He's already graduated from college. Guys in his recruiting class are, are on to the NFL. Jared Goff was in his recruiting class and was the number one pick. And Max Brown hasn't started the game yet. And it's, I think the real travesty was that over the last couple of years with all that turmoil, he's never been in a game in a, in a real situation, not a mop-up duty. So uh, they needed to get him some real live uh, reps uh, in games, and they haven't done that. So that means his first you know, real pass that means anything is going to be against Alabama. Obviously not ideal. Uh, but you'll see, I mean, he's a, he's a real steady kid. I think he's a, an accurate passer. He knows the offense really well. We just haven't seen him in those live situations, and obviously we will on Saturday. It should be interesting. And, and you know, right, looking at the other side of the ball, uh, you look at these two teams, you pull their two deeps up next to each other, and you see a lot of extraordinarily similar talent. But there's one exception, at least when I look at it, and it's the inexperience that the Trojans bring on the defensive line. How has that has that group been a surprise? Has that been a, I guess, say a pleasant surprise for Clay Helton and Chancey Pendergast, or where? Did, how did they look going into this game? Yeah, that was certainly the biggest question because you know losing like five guys, you know, a few guys over 300 pounds from the line from last year, and then Kenny Bigelow is a former five star that was supposed to be the, the veteran leader in the group, and he ended up blowing out his knee. And he's out, too. Now, they, they played a lot of freshmen on the offense, uh, the defensive line last year, kind of in a rotation role. All those true sophomores are going to be asked to, to really just carry the load. 
but they brought in a couple of transfers and they moved one guy from the offensive side to the defensive side to add some veteran leadership there. And probably the, the best acquisition, one of those free agency things we have at college football now, graduate transfer, uh, Stevie Tuikolovatu from Utah. And Utah's a great defensive line. Uh, he's the starting nose guard for USC now. He's a 25-year-old kid, went on a Mormon mission. He's married. He brings that sense of maturity, I think, that, that USC really needed on a defensive line. So I think Clay Held's been pleasantly surprised with the progress of the line. It certainly was a, a question coming in there. But, you know, they added some depth with the transfers and, and some veteran leadership. So it should help some of those young sophomores because losing all the guys from last year certainly was a big concern for Clay Held. And then, uh, Ryan, talk about the linebacker core. Uh, I know uh, it's it's been steadily built back up. How are they feeling about it going into the season? Yeah, like, you know, Cameron Smith uh, was a freshman, you know, All-American last year. Mm-hmm. He was leading the team in tackles, even when, you know, he went down with a, a knee injury. So he's coming back, and they feel really good about him. He was a, he's a true Porter Augustine is going to play that predator position uh, coming in and, and being a rush end. And uh, he's another true sophomore. So a lot of guys from the recruiting class of 2015 are going to be big contributors. Uh, but really, it's, it'll be interesting to watch in the middle, watch the inside linebackers. Uh, you have a couple of guys that are seniors that were kind of in, the, I guess you could say, the doghouse with Steve Sarkeesian, uh, Michael Hutchins and, and Quentin Powell. Uh, those guys made special teams contributions but really never got in the linebacker rotation. But Clay Helton comes in, saw that what they could do, and those guys have been getting a lot of reps. Uh, Michael Hutchins is, is you know, scheduled to be the starter inside. So it's funny when you get a new coaching staff, sometimes guys that were forgotten end up coming back and uh, can contribute. So those are a couple of senior linebackers that really didn't do much up until now, but they're expected to make uh, big contributions their senior year. And one of the things that's broken recently is the, let's just call it the issue surrounding Osa Messina. How big a loss is that for USC? This Well, at least going into the Alabama game and potentially going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a distraction more than anything. He would probably be in the, like, 10 snap a game ranges, is my guess. He wasn't going to be a starter, but certainly would have been in the rotation. And he's part of that 2015 recruiting class. He was a five-star kid uh, coming out of high school. Now, he's suspended for the game. There have been some reports about uh, sexual assault allegations. We don't know. We're going to wait until after practice and see if we can get an update uh, from Clay Helton. All they've announced is that it was a violation of team rules, and so he's suspended for the game. Um, we didn't see him come into practice some kind of update from Clay Helton, but I think it's more of a, hey, do you want someone getting suspended a few days before the Alabama game more than anything, more than he was going to be this key contributor. I think down the road he certainly could be, but for this game it didn't look like, you know, he'd be more, much more than like a 10 rep a game guy. And then, Ryan, uh, talk about this matchup. A lot of people are really intrigued with uh, the talent that USC secondary against this Alabama wide receiver group. Uh, you know, two former five stars, Adoree Jackson and Iman Marshall at corner. Uh, many people believe Odori Jackson may try to match up throughout the game with Calvin Ridley. Is that what you expect? And just kind of talk about that matchup. It could be the uh, uh, one of the uh, you know maybe the most anticipated of the game. It is, and I think if you look at some of the the talent that Alabama has, I mean, just you know, stacked at wide receiver, USC pretty much stacked at defensive back, and that's what's interesting to me about this game is that a lot of times, uh, if you look at the recruiting rankings at the end of the year and the average star rankings, Alabama and USC both are usually above four stars, and no one else. I mean, those are really the only two programs that are typically above averaging at least four stars per recruit coming in. So you don't get to see that kind of talent on the other side of the ball all the time. Now, obviously, Alabama's had a much more stable coaching situation than what USC's had, and there's been a lot of turmoil there. But talent-wise, I mean, there's a lot of five-star dudes, a lot of future NFL guys that are going to be on the field. And 
I'm gonna, it's going to be a more aggressive secondary this year with Clancy Pendergast coming in. They're going to play a lot more man-to-man, so I think you're going to see some good matchups like that between the DBs and, and wide receivers. So that's what's fun. When you're kind of playing zone and you, it's, you don't really get to see that mono-a-mono kind of stuff, I think you're going to see a lot more of that challenging the, the Alabama receivers. And then who's going to win that one-on-one battle? So certainly that's if you got to watch one matchup, I think the, the Alabama wide receivers and the USC DBs. Absolutely. But then uh, let's kind of switch over to the other side of the ball. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, 89 catches last year, nearly 1,400 yards. You know, Calvin Ridley is getting a lot of pub going into this game, but he had the best numbers of any receiver coming back. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if Marlon Humphrey matches up with him throughout. Uh, who Marlon considered by some to be the top-rated corner coming into this year for the NFL draft. Uh, just your thoughts on uh, on how he may match up against this Alabama secondary. Yeah, no, certainly it's going to be a good one there, too, because uh, you got talent, obviously, on both sides of the ball. I think for USC, the 89 catches, there was a lot more targets. And Juju Smith was so much – he's such a huge percentage of the USC passing game, pretty much to a fault, in my opinion. I mean, they, they just targeted him mm. all the time, and they never got a, a Robin to his Batman. There have been a lot of good duos at USC with the Robert Woods and Marquis Lee, and then Marquis Lee and Nelson Aguilar, and Nelson Aguilar had Juju. And now Juju Smith didn't really have anybody, so they need someone else to kind of step up and be that number two guy and at least take a little bit of pressure off him. And some of it might be the running game, like to be able to take some pressure off. But if you're able to double-team him, I mean, he's, a, he's just a tough kid. He broke his hand last year and got a plate put in there, and he played four days later, you know, in a game. So it's the, And was still the leading receiver, you know. So it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, he's great, but you can't just rely on him this much, especially – I guess a talented secondary like Alabama. So I think the most important thing in this USC passing game, yeah, you want to get Juju Smith going, but you have to have someone be his number two guy and, and be reliable and be able to take some of the pressure off him. If not, I think it's just going to be a – it'll be a, probably a successful year for Juju, but not as successful as if he had a, a partner to deal with. And who, who, who should we be on the lookout for as far as maybe that might be developing and might play a prominent role to be his partner Saturday, Ryan? Yeah, so a few different guys. Darius Rogers uh, out of Carson High School out here, he's number one. He's been he's been pretty steady. I think he's ready to kind of take a leap forward. Uh, then there's a battle in the slot between Stephen Mitchell and Deontay Burnett. Um, and both of those, Stephen Mitchell's more the established guy, really explosive. He had a knee surgery and then Hasn't quite been 100%. I think he's come back, and there's been some, some drop issues. But Deontay Burnett is a true sophomore, another guy from that class of 2015 that's really been impressive. He comes out of Sarah High School where so many former USC guys were and, and NFL guys, like Marquis Lee, Robert Woods, Adoree Jackson. All those guys are from Sarah High School. He's another one in that line. And Adoree Jackson said he was the one that gave them the most trouble covering in high school when they played together. So he's one that's kind of like, a dark horse to come in and, you know, maybe he doesn't start, but comes in and, and makes a bunch of plays. So, but one of those guys, or even some of the freshmen they have coming in, someone has to come up and step up and be that number two guy just to give Juju a break. Are they going to play a door, you think, both ways? That's a good question. I, they did a lot last year, and I think it hurt his uh, defensive back play a little bit. He hasn't mm. taken one offensive snap uh, throughout fall camp. So I think they'll use him some, but not to the extent that they did. Uh, last year, I think they really want to focus him on uh, being the best DB he can possibly be, and he'll still return kicks and punts. But you know, if he does some offense, it'll just be some some kind of gimmicky stuff. Probably not a, a regular part of this rotation. 
And then, Ryan, I know we're wrapping up here with you, and we really appreciate your time. But uh, just uh, talk about uh, some of the connections to this program uh, for, to, to, for out, uh, that USC has that uh, is familiar with Nick Saban's process because you've got Kerry Colbert, uh, who was uh, an analyst on Saban's staff, now back at his alma mater at USC. And then the new offensive line coach, Neil Calloway, uh, has a lot of ties to Alabama, played for the university, and was a consultant under Coach Saban. Do you think that's going to have an impact? I'm not sure I have a big impact. I think, the, you know, for uh, Kerry Colbert to come back, he's a, you know, USC legend during that Pete Carroll run. I think that'll help um, his his role is, uh, is, you know, more minor, uh, you know, at both programs. But the Neil Callaway one, USC's just had been a resolving door of offensive line coaches. It just hasn't worked out uh, really well. And he's a, he's a, brings a more mature attitude. He's a, a tough uh, SEC kind of offensive line coach. And I think he's, lit a fire under these guys. It's a really deep group. He's got a lot of bodies to work with, but I think he's worked them really hard and he can show them, Hey, this is what, this is what football is like in the SEC and knows what to expect from those guys. So I think he's going to have a pretty big impact. i uh, not necessarily on any kind of strategy against Alabama, just the kind of attitude he brings. They needed someone to come in and be real, you know, like a real ass kicker at, at offensive line. Cause <laughs> he's had so many different guys come through. And I think he can be that guy. And, you know, another guy that's coming back, but he's not has no Bama tie, is defensive coordinator Coach Pendergast. How has his return been, and how do you think he's going to affect the USC defense against the Tide? What's it gonna, what do you think is going to change, I should say? Yeah, it's, I think a lot's going to change, and that's, that's one thing to watch, a big factor of, and that's another guy that Lane Kiffin hired and brought in, and he's a more aggressive style. If you look at USC over the last couple of years with Justin Wilcox, who moved on, and uh, he's at Wisconsin now. It was a, a, a much more of a read and react sort of defense. It was a two-gap front, so defensive linemen are making a decision on every play, which way to go, left or right. Um, they, were, they were thinking a lot, and they didn't play a lot of man-to-man. They're going to be a lot more aggressive now. As Clancy Pendergrass comes in with a one-gap scheme, it's, you go here. You do this, you just attack. And they'll probably force a lot more negative plays than what you've seen in your past. Instead of waiting for the opponent to make a mistake you're out there trying to force things to happen now you can give up some big plays like that but i think the athletes usc has you talk about those four and five star guys they want to play more aggressive and i think they they've just they've taken a shine to clancy pendergast some of them have seen him before when he was here some of the seniors have been around when he was there the last time but they like it they like the more aggressive style it's a lot more you know a lot less thinking and a lot more acting so it should be the guys should be flying all over the field now they might make some misses and and give up some big plays to the Alabama offense. But I think you'll see a few more negative plays through force as well. And then, Ryan, to, to wrap up with you, and we thank you for your time. And, of course, this is Ryan Abraham of uscfootball.com, part of the scout.com network. Uh, in your mind, USC wins this game if? Oh, good question. I think, uh, I think the range of what Alabama can play in is a lot tighter than what USC. So USC has to play in their higher range, up to the level of their talent. Um, and, and, and really it's going to come down to the coaching. So I think they have to really play one of their better games. Thing. But they, they have a lot of athletes. I think they have to be aggressive on defense and force some turnovers and really not make big mistakes on offense. So, it, you know, it's going to take a lot. You know, Alabama's favored for a reason. I just think that this is – I'm a big believer in systems. And Nick Saban had the system. He replaced coordinators and players and Heisman Trophy winners and all that and kept rolling and kept winning. USC's got a unproven, you know, coach, a whole unproven coaching staff, a lot of talent, which is not really sure. So I think they're going to have to play at that upper range to really have a chance against Alabama. 
Well, it should be a heck of a football game. And, again, uh, I don't care what the Associated Press reports. I think it's the two greatest football programs in college football history. Uh, the eighth meeting between the two, first since 1985, Alabama leading five games to two. Well, Ryan, we really appreciate it. Uh, really thank you for joining us, and we look forward to hopefully connecting with you down the road. Hopefully this won't be the last time uh, Alabama and USC meet in the near future, maybe even in the college football playoff. They will hook up again, but we look forward to the game on Saturday. Thank you for calling us from uh, live from practice at Southern California. Really appreciate it and uh, really enjoy your work, and thank you, sir. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you. That's Ryan Abraham of uscfootball.com giving us his take on Southern California. Thomas, some very interesting info there. Well, you know, I feel like I have a little bit of egg on my face. I've been trumpeting throughout this offseason that Alabama is just going to grind away on USC's defensive line. (laughs) And, you know, listening to, to Ryan, that might not be the case. Now, yeah, I, uh, I, I agree with Ryan. I, I don't. I think Alabama's going to win this game, Thomas, but I don't think it's going to be a huge, you know, three, four score spread. I think Alabama's going to have to grind it, kind of like they did against Virginia Tech uh, in 2009. I, and, and going into that season, remember there was a lot of uncertainty because of Greg McElroy. He'd right. never started a game, and I don't know if people remember what a horrific start he got off to. I think he went three for his first 11, 12, 13, 14 before he really settled down in the second half, and they were able to pound the rock with Mark Ingram, uh, who went on to you know be the Heisman Trophy winner, who was just a sophomore at that time. But I just think really uh, it kind of reminds me of that because I think SC's got a tough team. I think they're talented. Now, they're not as talented as Alabama, uh, and but, but Alabama does have some inexperience in some key spots, and you know, I I think quote unquote Cooper Bateman's going to start at QB, but after what we saw yesterday, I don't know really. I'm not going to guarantee anything. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, I, I will I will own this mistake too. Apparently, I'm just copying all my mistakes at this show, Bams Radio. I think it's time for me to retire from uh, from the predict the Alabama quarterback game, Drew, because yeah. over the past couple of years, I'm batting in the single digits, and that, that's. That's not getting me in any kind of Hall of Fame. But well, you know, I, I'm, I'm not. My track record hadn't been too great either. You know, I, I said on this program and a couple other radio shows at times that I didn't think Jake Coker could play dead in a B Western, uh, and he went on to win a national championship. Uh, I, I've said the same. I'm, I'm not very high on Cooper Bateman, uh, though he may start this first game. Uh, but the thing is, everyone knows the the, the connection that Bams Radio has uh, to the Barnett family, how good a people they are. I've always rooted hard for Blake, but even I, you know, came off the wagon after that uh, second scrimmage where he had the four turnovers. But it looks like he's a mentally tough kid. He's really proven a lot of things to the coaches. And it also shows that even though you may hear buzz from practice, you still don't see the totality of it all and what the coaches are looking at. Because from what I understand, I haven't had an update tonight, uh, but I I know that uh, Blake Barnett took most of the reps with the ones. last night and so uh we'll see he's getting an opportunity to perhaps win this job my whole point with cooper bateman is just the inability or the kind of where you're you're limited with your playbook and i but i but it it seems obvious to me thomas and i know you probably watched it and listened to it as well and went back and and listened to it but jalen hurts i still think in all honesty he's the most talented player but i think where he's he's lacking and first of all 
if I see one more idiot on Twitter refer to Nick Saban as a racist oh, for not starting a black you. quarterback. Thank you. If you weren't going to go there, I was going to kick that door down. So I mean, continue. I mean, Blake Sims, first of all, Rohan Davies, second of all, Jamarcus Russell, third of all, Marcus Randall, fourth. I can go on. I mean, it's the most preposterously stupid thing you can say. And then to say, well, he's blatantly the best player. Well, he may be, but that's not all what quarterbacking is. It's not, we're not playing a video game where you plug someone in. You have to know what to do. You have to be able to manage the offense and adjust pre-snap, you know, uh, be able to check off. I just think right now they're worried that Jalen Hurts doesn't know the offense well enough, and that's normal. The freaking kid has only been here since January. I still think, again, he has the most upside in talent, but Nick Saban does not want to uh, ruin him and put him in too early. And the bottom line is this. He also is going to give Cooper Bateman, who stuck around for four years, every opportunity, and Blake Barnett. Now, the theory that he's only playing Barnett so he won't transfer, that's ridiculous. Nick Saban, first of all, wants to win. And I thought the uh, commentary he made yesterday about all three quarterbacks was interesting. And the, the reason it made me think Bateman was going to start is because you know how Coach said Coach Saban's most important thing is managing the offense and being able to get everyone lined up. Well, he talked about Cooper Bateman having the best knowledge. But then he also talked about Blake Barnett being an outstanding passer and knowing the offense better and being stronger. And then he brought up Rohan Davey. And this is what I'm talking about with the scrimmages. Blake Barnett may have turned it over in the scrimmages, but as Coach Saban said, Rohan Davey sometimes, who is black, would drive him nuts because he wouldn't perform well in practice. But then, as Alabama especially learned, he, can, he went out there and lit it up during the games. So he's saying that Blake Barnett may be a gamer. And then he talked about Jalen Hurts. And the thing that I thought was interesting, Thomas, is he kept saying this game. I'm getting them ready for this game. Because he said they're not going to give up on Jalen Hurts' ability. In other words, we'll probably see Jalen Hurts down the road and probably soon. Right. And I think that this game part needs to be said over and over and over again. This yeah. thing isn't over. I mean, I'm yeah. sorry. How many times, Thomas, did you get asked yesterday, why is Hurts not going to play and is he going to redshirt? I can't, can't – I can't. I lost count. Let me, let I me mean, put it to you this way. I turned my cell phone off. Yeah, I mean, I mean, are you are you crazy? I mean, these people are just jumping off bridges, uh, just like, oh no, we well, you said he was pushing, you said he would probably start, and well, only one person put that out there, and he no longer has a radio show, so yeah, and I mean, yeah, uh, and 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 that was very unwise to do. But uh, but what, but I'm just saying. I mean, but with that with that this Alabama situation, I, I, am I surprised Hurts is not starting? No, I thought he would play. He still might. I don't. The one thing that surprised me was it was it was a two man race and Barnett was second because I thought he had he hadn't performed well enough in the scrimmages and they and they weigh the scrimmages a lot. But obviously, there's a lot going on in practice and obviously. Um, uh, you know, that we don't see. And I think the one thing that uh, – another thing is there is truly not a lot of separation among the three. Uh, I think that's fair. You know, uh, the, the parts I took from Nick Saban, and maybe it was hearing what I wanted to hear, yes, yeah. it's a two-man race, but no, it's not – you know, Cooper Bateman, Blake Barnett are not lighting it up, and Jalen Hurts is struggling. So, uh, you know, come back to me – 
if this still is going on at Ole Miss, much like last year, if the same kind of things are happening with Alabama transferring to Oxford, transferring, traveling, excuse me, to Oxford, I'll be worried. But right now, I mean, do I wish it was settled? Sure. But Alabama has the luxury and the talent to stretch this thing out a little bit. Because if Blake Barnett is a gamer, like you say, which is entirely possible, you know, you could be talking about a guy that if he makes the offense go, this offense is going to score a ton of points. Well, so, I agree with that, Thomas. And pardon me for interrupting, but no, I will ahead. say this. Last year, we thought we'd see two quarterbacks. Um, we thought Bateman would play uh, against Wisconsin, but what we saw was Jake Coker was solid, and so they played him every snap. That could happen again uh, this week if the starter they roll out there is rolling. But I think, and I, you know, and I'm not trying to disrespect Cooper Bateman. Part of that may be because of Bateman's uh, lack of arm talent. I, and I still wouldn't be surprised if he takes the first snap in this game coming up. But I think that they they realize that they're limited on offense with Cooper behind center, and they and they and you, if people keep talk, making reference to the wide receivers at Alabama and OJ Howard. You got to have somebody to get them the ball. So. I think that's why you'll see Blake Barnett get in, and then there will be no, and then everybody has got been given their opportunity, and I can understand that. I mean, you want to before you have to, and and to me, I think this is wise to do it this way. It's just you thought it might play itself out instead of on the playing field uh, in the first couple of games. It might play itself out in fall camp, but uh, the thing is, you've got to give these two guys that were there before hurts every opportunity to feel like they got a fair shake. Well, anybody that says the, brings up the fair shake argument, there's this thing called fall camp, and yeah. uh, the, the race has changed a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was saying. I mean, yeah. you thought it might be decided in fall camp, but obviously it was not. And so, and and again, if you look around the country too, and this is another thing, uh, the, the way I can go, you can go back and and uh, and, and and talk about it like in this regard. Have you seen, have we seen too many true freshman quarterbacks start? No, I know a couple of years ago, and it may have, or it may have been last year that Chris Peterson did it at Washington. Uh, but you don't really see a true freshman. Uh, Jacob Eason may do it this year at Georgia, uh, but Josh most Rosen of the time, here at UCLA, yeah, and Josh is a very good point. But the reason that happened too is their other quarterbacks weren't very good. And then with on UCLA's case, they had a kid go pro that should have stayed in school, but. Uh, but with Alabama, you know, they've, they've, they, you know, Bateman's never played a true freshman. It doesn't look like he's going to, this, at least in the first game. I, you know, he may end up playing all three of them, but I doubt it. I think Hurts will get his shot later, especially if Alabama, you know, does not play well offensively against Southern Cal. But I will say this, if it, does, if it, if it goes bad enough, he'll probably get an opportunity uh, on Saturday. But I really don't anticipate that. I think – uh, Blake Barnett, and I, uh, another point that hasn't been stated enough too, Thomas, is they're going up against a uh, maybe the the best defense in college football in practice, and that might be why you kind of struggle at times. Yeah, yeah. Some I know you weren't on the show last week, but Redfish right. said something that really resonated with me, and I hadn't heard this, but I, I'll take his word as gospel with this. Apparently, NFL scouts have looked at Alabama's defense, and they see like. 2001 Miami-esque speed and athleticism. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I when Phil Savage says it's going to be the fastest and most athletic, that's all you need to know. Right. But to, but to show you how this quarterback race has been unpredictable, Phil Savage also said that he thought it would be Cooper Bateman and Hurts playing. And right. it doesn't look like that's going to be the case because most people – because, you know, I had been hearing that uh, Barnett had continued to turn the ball over in practice, but I think Jalen Hurts was as well. They've all made their mistakes. I just think Coach Saban is going to give all these guys uh, ample opportunity. And, of course, it's, uh, I, I got a couple of messages as soon as Hurts wasn't named in the top two. Well, he, now he'll probably transfer. Everybody's panicking about transfers. And you just kind of kind of let everything play out. Uh, Cooper Bateman has stayed around when many people would have thought he would have left uh, before, and now he's getting a chance. I kind of feel bad for him in a way, Thomas, because he was taking a ton of heat uh, on the social media yesterday. I saw someone, uh, you know, tweet at Ryan Fowler, Alabama wins seven games if Cooper Bateman's the quarterback. And Ryan Fowler shot back and said, Alabama wins eight games if I'm the quarterback. Yeah, I was going to say, Alabama, uh, that's just silly. I don't know. It's chicken littles. And, you know, I've said this and it's kind of as the drama unfolded around, let's just call it the Alabama media group, not AL.com, the Alabama just media reporters over the yeah. past week. My general comment is, can we just kick the dadgum ball off so that people stop doing stupid crap and you can actually have like verifiable stuff that everyone can see? Can, can we get to that point? Because come on, guys. Man, but you know, Drew, I wanted to ask you something because this is this this kind, this jumped out to me as well as I'm you know trying to read up on everything I can. Alabama, what's up with the offensive line change? Is it just Bozeman was Kelly's backup and Pierce Baker's more comfortable? Or can you shed some light on that? I think it went to the fact that Pierce Baker, they worked with him a long time. They worked with him in the spring. They worked with him in the fall. I think they didn't feel as comfortable with him in the pivot from a power standpoint. And the biggest thing is the snaps. I think he struggled a little bit with the shotgun snaps. Many are now saying that may have been the cause behind Barnett's two fumbles. I saw one of them right in front of me. It didn't seem low to me. It looked like he botched it. It was hard to tell on the one that passed midfield because he had his back to us. But, again, it kind of looked like he botched that that one or maybe the tailback should have taken the ball and there was some miscommunication. It didn't look to me to be a center problem. uh, But there were a few snaps that weren't great. And I think with Bozeman's experience there, I think they they decided they wanted to to move him to center, give him the power, give him, uh, you know, the consistent snapping. I think they probably felt like he's a better ball handler uh, than uh, than, uh, Ross Pierce-Baker. And – you put a 15-game starter next to Jonah Williams. Now, it is on the right side instead of the left, but you do give him an experienced guy that knows all the calls. And Shank Taylor, he did get his DUI uh, dismissed, not unexpectedly, uh, you know, uh, earlier today. But he's still overweight, and I'm telling you right now, if you're, if you're uh, Sh- Alphon Shank Taylor, with the shifting you saw on the offensive line in the last week, Thomas, uh, I, I'm not going to play taps on his senior year as, as a starter, but, you know, I'm telling you the band's warming up. Because if Ross Pierce-Baker stays healthy, he's going to be in the lineup. They love Lester Cotton. Now, uh, Alphonse can be a, a valuable swing guard that can play the right or the left, 
but I'm, I just don't think he's going to get his starting job back with the way this offensive line is constituted. I, I, they decided on their iron five uh, a while back, and I think they found it, and now they just want to stay healthy. And I think uh, this offensive line with Pierce Baker now on the right, right guard and Jonah Williams, an elite talent at right tackle, though he's 18 years old, I think this, this O-line as a whole has a chance to be better than last year because the right side last year at times was an abortion. Well, the right side was, you know, the next time Dominique Jackson executes, executes a good pass-blocking set yeah. against a decent defensive end or a decent rush linebacker will almost certainly be the first. He struggled. There's, there's no other way to put it. Yes. But, you know, more than even the right side, and I, I'm not trying to take anything away from Ross Pierce Baker or Jonah Williams. I don't know about you, Drew, but I am excited as hell to see Cam Robinson and Lester Cotton grab onto fools and take them to the bus because they are going to be road grading people when Alabama runs to the left. Absolutely. And then now we just got to have Bo Scarborough hit those holes and we've got to have Bo Scarborough stay healthy. Bo Scarborough protect the ball. I mean, I, I've heard in the last several days, Bo has been running with the ones after he had his head up his rectum uh, for most of the end of spring practice and the beginning of fall. Um, you know, Damian Harris had kind of taken the reins as the number one back. I think now you're going to see both of them early uh, against Southern Cal, but I also think uh, at some point in the game you're going to see the two freshmen, uh, B.J. Mons, who has now switched from 6 to 21, uh, probably also for a special teams duty because of Hootie Jones uh, and the now departed Maurice the Trader Smith. But And, and then you also – are going to see Joshua Jacobs, who has been very impressive in the scrimmages. I thought the most impressive of the backs. But what we've learned this year is you never know what we've been hearing. Imans has been doing well in practice. So practice even more so than the scrimmages this year, maybe at more added weight. And I'm just, I'm fascinated to see how it all plays out on offense. I, I think I know what to expect on defense. I'm expecting wrecking balls. And for Alabama to play well, I don't think there's going to be a drop-off. This bull crap about uh, Alabama's going to drop off on defense because they got Kirby Smart's gone and they had to go get Jeremy Pruitt. Good God, Jeremy Pruitt won a national championship at Florida State. Jeremy Pruitt had top 10, top 15 defenses at Georgia. Yes, I know they struggled against the run some of the time, but that's because Mark Richt is a soft head coach. If Alabama cannot stop the run, Nick Saban will fire three people in two days. They will stop the run. Yep. It's not going, there's not going to be a drop-off. Matter of fact, it'll probably be better. So Kirby Smart can go to Georgia and he can stick it, as far as I'm concerned. Because if we ever play him, we're going to bust their head. And he better know that. Because the pupil never, beat, never beats the teacher. He gets his ass whipped. <laughs> well, obviously, Drew's fired up this evening. And I have to say, I'm, getting, I'm jumping on that bandwagon. <laughs> but no, I think... I have to say, you know, major props to Ryan coming on from uh, the USC Scout affiliate. When he said, run the ball, but do more no huddle concepts, I'm sorry. I have to say, I got kind of excited. I know that I said I expected USC to slow down, and obviously that was another thing, another mea culpa on my part. But, like, running and spread no huddle stuff is what Jeremy Pruitt has really built defenses to counter. You know, you mentioned the Florida State National Championship. Well, Auburn ran up and down on that very good FSU defense. That FSU defense, let's be realistic here. That FSU defense was as elite as they come. I think if, if you really got down to brass tacks, 
it was in the echelons of some of the best Alabama defenses under Saban. Unfortunately for them, the offense would score 70 points a game, and so the defense would let up. Now, is that a character flaw? Sure, whatever. We can talk about that. But remember what happened in the second half. Florida State came out and absolutely ripped that, off, that Auburn offense. They struggled. And remember, that Auburn offense had Jay Prosh and Greg Robinson, a fantastic fullback left tackle run blocking combo, and one of the main reasons Auburn was there. Well, who was the guy that made those adjustments at halftime in a 20-minute period goes from Auburn's doing great things to Auburn struggled mightily? That was Jeremy Pruitt. Now, am I saying that USC is going to do the Auburn hurry-up smash-mouth thing? No, I don't think – well, if they want to get Max Brown killed, be my guest. But, you know, this is what we're talking about here. Saying that Alabama is going to take a step back is silly, quite frankly. Alabama's defense is going to do things differently. I don't think there's any argument there. Addendum to that argument, the second part of that argument, is that it's not – different is not necessarily worse – in fact, it could be better because of how the rules of the game are put together. If Jeremy Pruitt could come out and stop this USC team cold when it's hurry up, no huddle, Alabama fans have to feel better about Ole Miss. Now, is Chad Kelly better than Max Brown? Right now, you absolutely have to say yes. You cannot make the argument that Max Brown's in the same league as Chad Kelly. But if the offensive concepts look similar, you know, that's – that, is, that lends so well to Alabama going up against any spread team. So, I mean, I'm excited for the matchup, and it's just crazy. I'm going, playing off the, the media drama. The Chicken Littles need to just, just take a deep breath, just, just one deep breath. Football's within the next 100 hours. Alabama's going to come out, and they're going to look good at times, and they're going to look bad at times, and that's football. But just, just calm down, man. Or what well, I'm going to tell you don't this. Don't push sand if you're freaking out. You know, <laughs> I don't. I don't know if he'll be the quarterback. I doubt it. But if Cooper Bateman is the quarterback, if he plays well, if he goes on to be the starter, and if he throws for three thousand yards, and Alabama wins the SEC championship, hell, if Blake Barnett does it or Jalen Hurts, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say this: Lane Kiffin will be the greatest offensive coordinator in Alabama football history. And that's saying something because of what <laughs> Mal Moore did under Coach Bryant and what Homer Smith did. And Homer Smith was, I think, a true football genius. He took Gary Hollingsworth and made him SEC Player of the Year. But, hell, if Lane Kiffin does this again, that means he's taken three first-year starters and turned them into three-time Southeastern Conference champion. Got That's three different types of blood from three different types of stones. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and I mean, in, in none of them, uh, especially in Cooper Bateman's case, would be considered a blue chip, you know, high, you know, pro pro football prospect. Now, you know, Cooper was a four star when he came out. I think he was a little overrated, and it sounds like I'm being harsh on him. He's still a talented player. I just don't know that he's. Uh, he's not nearly as talented. I will say this. He's not nearly as talented as Barnett and Hurts. But I guess what's bothered me, and, you know, I have to be honest when I, with what I see, and that's why I saw the most potential out of Jalen Hurts this year when I followed uh, the entirety of spring practice and what I saw at fall camp. Now, I haven't been at practice. 
But I will say, one narrative I am getting tired of is people asking me, is Blake Barnett a bust? A bust. He hasn't even played in a game. How can you call him a bust? I know what they were saying. Well, he's turning the ball over in the scrimmages. He's also going against a great defense, you mental midgets. And some of y'all, you lemmings, you got to understand they're going up against great players. Now, I think he has struggled, and I think Jalen Hurts made more plays. But but it's not a crime if Jalen Hurts is a more talented individual. Does that mean he's going to be a better player? Who knows? Well, he's got to stay healthy first, and then he's got to continue to develop. Now, I think he has more athletic talent, but I have said a million times on here, I think he can be – a mercurial talent at Alabama. I'm talking about a transcendent player, uh, Jalen Hurst. I've said that. I'm sticking with it. But what I mean is quarterbacking is not all about athleticism. It's about from the neck up. I do think Jalen is a special player. I do think he has the most athletic ability and arm talent. But obviously right now Nick Saban does not think he's ready to manage a game as a true freshman. And to go ahead and say, I had people on Twitter saying, well, he's got the it factor. He seems to, but you haven't yet to see any of them playing a game and to make statements, and we've only seen very little of Cooper Bateman, but to make statements like and just run out there and say, well, you know, he's uh, ba- uh, Hertz is by far the best player. He is the most talented player, but you can't say anything until they get out there and make plays in a game. Because I've seen guys that uh, look like Tarzan in scrimmages and played like Jane on Saturday. And one big one was Brian Steger from my neck of the woods over here at Buckhorn that played running back at Alabama. Looked great in scrimmages, couldn't play dead in the game. And I've seen a lot of that. And with a quarterback, you just kind of have to go with it and see what and see. And maybe some of them are gamers. Maybe Blake Barnett's going to be a gamer. But, uh, you know, if he turns the ball over, Coach Saban's going to make a change. But if you've watched everything under Coach Saban, whoever the starter ends up being, they usually do a pretty daggone good job of protecting the football. You, you know, Jake Coker did a good job of it, Blake Sims. Blake threw about ten picks, but still he did a remarkable job for someone that hadn't played a whole lot. So, and uh, But I, I just really think – and sometimes people also, they weigh the A-Day game too much. I mean, I, they, I, I'll still never forget people panicking because Blake Sims looks bad in the A-Day game. Well, he looked really good in the other two scrimmages, and that's why he was the quarterback. And when I saw Blake come out in a game against West Virginia and play the way he did, Thomas, if you remember that game, his numbers should have been even better. There were people getting on him because he threw an interception. The damned interception should have never happened uh, because our boy Christian Jones dropped a 50-yard touchdown. Yes. I was was hoping you were going to reference that because uh, that was oogly-boogly. And, uh, yeah, that, I, mean, don't, I know the deep ball looked like a punt. I heard people saying that. Who cares? It got there, and he dropped the ball. And you know what it was? It was a foreshadowing of a things to come. Uh, Christian Jones tanked his senior season and cost himself an opportunity at the, end of, at the NFL. But it happens. So, see, that's what, those are all those factors you never know. It doesn't happen very often under Coach Saban that players take steps back. They usually just get better. But, I mean, if, 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 if Blake Sims can come out and do what he did, and I, I'll freely admit, I, I, I guess I should just go ahead and say I've been wrong every year under Lane Kitchen. Because when Jake Coker was brought in, I thought he would beat out Blake Sims. We I didn't all think thought Blake that. Sims, <laughs> we pushed that narrative Blake, on this program. 
<laughs> we didn't think Blake Sims could come out and throw the way he's thrown. But I'll say when I fully bought into it, I thought he played solid enough to hold on to the job uh, against West Virginia. But I'll never forget, even after that, there were people saying, Jake Coker, Jake Coker, why isn't Jake Coker playing? Everyone fully bought in when he torched Florida. And he came out and he hit – because I kept hearing, he can't throw the deep ball. He can't throw the deep ball. Blah, blah, blah. Well, that's all he did against Florida pretty much. And he torched them. So, I, I just want to see uh, uh, all these quarterbacks play, even Cooper Bateman. Cooper Bateman might surprise us. I just, but I really think, because, again, Gary Hollingsworth did not have elite arm talent. But I just really think Cooper Bateman lacks the arm talent. He doesn't seem to want to use his mobility. So, I'm just, I'm not convinced that he's a, that, uh, that he he has the skill set. And, and, and the biggest part of it, Thomas, in all honesty, is, I do think Jalen Hurts is an elite talent, and I still think Blake Barnett is an elite talent. They're both five-star players, and I think, you know, uh, the, the problem with a lot of fans is they write guys off, you know, early. They're, they're more focused. There's, more, there's, still, there's people talking about Tua Tagovailoa and afraid he's going to decommit instead of just worrying about who you got on the team right now. So I hadn't but, heard that, but – that well, they, it, it's, it's just it's, it's just it's it's the it's the nature of the beast with quarterbacks, Thomas. Yeah, they're always worrying about the next quarterback. Like, okay, this guy's okay, but the next one's going to be a superstar. You know, they, they, they people forget how good AJ McCarron was. You know, AJ McCarron. I'll go ahead and say it. AJ McCarron was the best quarterback at Alabama. I don't. You hear people say, well, he had all these great players around. him. Well, then watch what he's doing in the NFL. He's going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Let, tell me the last starting quarterback Alabama put in the NFL. Brody Croyle. Nope. Well, <laughs> I don't even consider him that because he okay. only started like a handful of games. I'm talking about consistent for a few years starting quarterback in the NFL. Uh, it would be before my time. I'll put it to you that way because you can't exactly. say Greg McElroy. One game. Yeah. Nope. There, it, it's all the way back in the '70s, Thomas Richard Todd. Yeah, I wasn't around then, so I, I, it actually didn't happen, as far as I'm concerned. So. Jeff Rutledge started a handful of games, but he was mostly a career backup. I'm just saying, Richard Todd was a high draft choice who turned into a great pro quarterback who played a while. Alabama has not had one to do that. Brody Croyle was could have been, but he wasn't surrounded by good enough players, and he was fragile. AJ McCarron is the best quarterback in Alabama in 30 years. People don't want to talk about it. They want to, they want to talk about Joe William the Snake. And he's going to be up there with them in the top four or five of all time. But they want to talk about, uh, you know, the future. They want to go back and say, well, if Brody Crowell had been surrounded by this and that, maybe. But Brody Crowell was also fragile. I mean, he, I, don't, I do think he had a better arm than A.J., but A.J., what, have, what, have we, what has been the big topic of conversation tonight? intangible things and AJ McCarron was you know I don't think he was a great leader of young players but he was a great leader of of his teammates from the standpoint of the older guys you know he didn't he wasn't one of these guys he, I, I equate him to Brett Favre in the NFL Brett Favre didn't really try to help young players you know AJ McCarron didn't really either I don't think but he could leave but he had the respect of, all, of most of the, all of his teammates and he and the uh, and the upperclassmen believed in him and the biggest thing A.J. McCarron had uh, that no other Alabama quarterback I've seen had is stones. 
He played the best in the big games. I know people say his last game against Oklahoma, he threw two interceptions, blah, blah, blah. He threw for a billion yards in that game. Alabama played poorly on defense throughout the entire contest. And really, if Yeldon doesn't fumble, Alabama's rolling. But uh, that never that game should have never been played because, I, you know, even more so than 2010, the kick six game is going to stick in my crawl until the end of time because you have Amari Cooper, Kevin Norwood, O.J. Howard, A.J. McCarron beat Auburn secondary that couldn't guard a lamppost. If you keep throwing the ball, the game's over, and them fools don't ever go to the national championship game. But Coach Saban got conservative and wanted to run the football instead of letting McCarron win it for him. He finished second in the Heisman voting. People don't even remember that half the time. So, and if he and if he had handled the draft process better and gone to the Senior Bowl, and in some, part of it was I think his shoulder was not healthy. But if he had handled the draft process better, and I think he would probably admit that himself, he probably AJ McCarron was really a second round pick. Okay. He wasn't a fifth-round pick, but he slipped because of some things having to do with the draft and then his shoulder, the uncertainty. But he's proven beyond a shadow of a doubt he can play. And he I was, just think – He was an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on Pac-Man Jones away from beating a very good Steelers. Right. I mean, and to me, if that had happened, Thomas, if they had won the game, there would have been a lot of consternation in the offseason about, well, the, the Red Rifle had never won a playoff game, but A.J. McCarron already has. And there would have been even more interest in him being traded. You know, I think there was some interest. But right now, you know, Cincinnati understands what they've got. They're not going to give him away. And, and, uh, but I do, I will say this, whether it be in Cincinnati, if they get tired of the red rifle, Andy Dalton, or whether they trade him, A.J. McCarron is going to get a chance because his contract's going to run out. And then he's either going to be a free agent, but they won't never let that happen. Cincinnati will trade him to try to get something for him. And, uh, but we'll see. I mean, he, as you've seen, he's lighting it up again in the preseason. You know, I mean. Uh, I hear you. No, I, believe me, I hear you. It's, uh, I hadn't thought that A.J. McCarron was, you know, best in 30 years, but you make a convincing argument. There is no question, if you think about it objectively, that he's the best. He's got all the rings. And I understand he had a great supporting cast. Part of that is circumstance. Richard Todd had a great supporting cast. Jeff Rutledge had a great – they all won championships. That's part of being in a great program. But when you think about it and you, you go through uh, most of the late 70s, in, you know, after Jeff Rutledge, into the 80s, through the 90s, and then the 2000s, it's A.J. McCarron. I mean, it's really not hard. Alabama hasn't had a lot of great quarterback play. And, you know, I know they keep saying game managers and all this crap under Coach Saban, but that's actually a compliment. And to me, it's a compliment to Nick Saban, too, when you think about it, Thomas. And nobody gives Coach Saban credit for this. All of his quarterbacks until Blake Sims, uh, and Blake went to a training camp, uh, and Jake Coker, the last two, the previous all those QBs, when you're John Parker Wilsons and your and your Greg McElroys and your and your AJ McCarrens, all of them got drafted, and all of them made a pro team. And Jake still might if uh, yep. Bruce Arians decides to put him on the taxi squad. Uh, but Blake Sims, nobody thought he would be a pro QB, at least not in the NFL. Now he may be able to make a living in the CFL, but he just doesn't fit the NFL game. I mean, he's a little bit short. 
doesn't have the huge arm. He has athletic ability. Uh, but the Coach Saban, when given the opportunity, has developed quarterbacks in the NFL guys. He just hasn't had that transcendent guy, even though really you could say A.J. McCarron was that guy. He doesn't get credit enough for being that. I always talk about uh, you know, Jalen Hurts and his potential, but that's more about his athleticism and his skill set. A.J. McCarron has already played at an elite level. Well, I mean, how much how much does the A.J. McCarron narrative have change if Alabama throws the ball against Auburn in 2013? Oh, how, much, how, much does so. it, how much does the narrative change if on that fluky-dooky fourth and one, Carl Lawson doesn't absolutely wreck the uh, the guard on the play and blow up T.J. Eldon in the backfield? I mean – or the or the I'll just go ahead and say it, or the bullshit holding call on OJ Howard that, that that called it back where it would have been first and goal and it's over. Yeah. Okay, I mean his hands were inside. That was a garbage call. But I mean, but anyway, I but besides that, it would have changed it because if Alabama, in my opinion, they win that Auburn game, they go drill Missouri, and they play for the national championship against FSU. What if they beat FSU? Then he's beat Jameis Winston in 2013, and he would be lauded. They would have him up there with Joe Willie and the snake. There'd be no question because if you look at it, he would have won. He, he would have won four national titles in yeah. five years. Yeah. He would have won one as a backup in 09 and then three as a starter. Three. Yep. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, would have beaten Jameis Winston who won the Heisman trophy. Right. Year. Exactly. So, I mean, I'm just saying, he, but even though he didn't, uh, he, to me, the Auburn game got taken out of his hands, he's still a great player, and he still needs to be given that respect. I mean, uh, there's some things he did that I didn't like, but, you know, there's there's going to be things, there's you know, from an attitude standpoint, there's things off the field the way Derrick Henry handles himself that I don't care for. But I'll say this, A.J. McCarron was a great player. He has my complete respect, and Derrick Henry was a great player. And he has my complete respect. And there are already some NFL scouts who should be fired based upon what I'm seeing from Derrick Henry in the NFL when they were talking about, well, what do we do with him? You dumb asses, you draft him and you give him the ball. I mean, okay. you're not wrong. Hell, he came out of the backfield and made it. I watched the. Line I know. <laughs> I don't. See, they didn't throw him the ball a lot at Alabama. They threw it well. They, but he, when they did, he caught it. They acted like he dropped the ball all the time. These scouts overanalyze things. I don't understand what they're watching. It's just. I mean, it's, it's kind of like Jaron Reed so far with the Seahawks. I can't believe he fell to the Seahawks. Well, these idiots. Some of them don't know. It's why some of these organizations never win. They don't know what they're doing from a scouting standpoint. I still think Sean was a first-rounder. Jaron, Reggie Ragland, we know Reggie had the tough knee injury. We were prayers with him. He'd never really been hurt. Even The only other time he'd been hurt had been in high school when he had, when he had a high ankle sprain. But we know he'll be fine. But these people are just stupid. It's about like when D'Amico Ryans fell to the second round in 2005, and I'm just – I did. I just didn't understand. I was like, "What are they doing?" And then by the time minicamp came around, you hear the Texans, "Wow, uh, D'Amico Ryan. He already knows all five linebacker positions, or excuse me, all four linebacker positions backwards and forwards. He knows the whole defense. Yeah, because he made every tackle on the SEC. You dumbasses, including on special teams. But then some of these scouts questioned his instincts and size. What are these crackheads looking at? They're dumbasses. It's why they don't win. 
He should have been a top ten pick in the draft. I mean, and the, that's one guy that I will stand on the table for. What if he had played for Nick Saban? How high would D'Amico Ryans have gone in the draft? It, there, there's no question he would have been a top ten pick. Because look what Coach Saban was able to do with Rolando McClain, who has anger management problems and uh, just is a complete train wreck as a person off the field. But he's able to keep him focused. And D'Amico Ryans is about the exact opposite kind of person. So, I mean, it, it is what it is. It's just one of those things where you get frustrated. But like I say, I just think with A.J. McCarron, he's the greatest Alabama quarterback in 30-plus years. There's no doubt the, the, the standard position has been set in the Nick Saban era. Now somebody has to be able to surpass it. <laughs> I do think Jalen Hurts has more athletic ability than anyone I've seen from the quarterback position and has a chance to do it. But he's still going to have to develop. And, you know, there's been prospects galore at quarterback uh, that never ended up being as good as everybody thought they would be. A lot of them are from Southern Cal. When you think of your Matt Barkley's who started as a freshman, uh, you know, who never panned out. And so you just have to wait and see, you know, what happens. But I do think uh, Jalen has a chance to be elite. He'll be surrounded by a lot of talent. Uh, but it's just, is he going to take advantage of it? And you have to have luck because A.J. McCarron had some shoulder problems, Thomas, but the big thing A.J. McCarron had was he stayed healthy. You know, and speaking of that, I don't know if you saw this, but Jake Coker played with a separated shoulder. Did you see that story that came out the past couple of days? Uh, I, well, I, he played with a screw in his foot at Alabama. Is anybody shocked by this? No, I just – when it came out, I was like, no, that, he played at Alabama with, like, a separated shoulder. Well, I'm not surprised at all. He played with a screw in his foot, too. I mean, he yeah. took some hits last year. He liked to take people on. There was a couple times he got up wincing at his shoulder that I thought he was probably hurt. But he's a tough SOB. I mean, he played with – he's a different style quarterback. He's one of these guys, he's never going to be pretty, but he got the job done. A lot of grit, a lot of leadership qualities. You know, he was named a captain for a reason. Yep. Because he's a tough guy. And, I mean, A.J. McCarron was a captain. We'll see what kind of leadership skills these quarterbacks have. That's the one thing that I'm excited about about Blake Barnett is I've always thought he was a leader and that he had a short memory. The only thing that worries me about Blake Barnett's mentality is and it'll get him in trouble with coach Saban is home run home run he's got Brett Favre in him and I don't know if you saw and it was one of the greatest pieces of television you're ever going to see him and Gruden going back in the day and just in back in his career and he admitted it to Gruden he said I felt like on every play I could hit a home run I didn't care how the play was designed I always looked for home run first because of my arm and he admitted it got him in trouble. I, I did not ever see that. I knew it happened, but I had never seen well, it. Well, you need to. You need to because there's a couple times. he See, Favre has a photographic memory. And he can remember, Thomas, he can remember play calls from 1992 in certain situations. All he has to do is kind of look at the formation. And then he can just rattle it off from the West Coast offense. And see, that's what Gruden was talking about, how people didn't understand how smart Brett was. Because he says, back in the day when he played, there wasn't radios in the helmets. We didn't radio the plays. He had to memorize the plays. And so, and a lot of times, Brett would, would freelance. He would tell a guy, he'd say, okay, here's what we're calling, but here's what I want you to do. Instead of going uh, doing an out and up, I want you to go out, up, and go. 
just trust me, and I'm going to throw you the ball. <laughs> and so and so that's what would happen. And being the perfectionist that Mike Holmgren was, he would be over there, what the hell is that? What the hell is that? Even though it was a touchdown, Favre would come over there, and he'd be like, why didn't you tell me about that? I mean, what what kind of play was that? Of course, the players didn't care because it worked, but it drove Holmgren nuts. Uh, and then, I'm gonna have to find this on demand because this sounds. You're gonna have to find it on YouTube because yeah. I mean, and then one time, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget. They were in. They had. They they were. There was like less than 20 seconds left. No timeouts. They had to score or throw the ball out of bounds and kick a field goal to tie. Well, you know, in the huddle, they're just going over it again. This was for the to win the division again and again and again. Brett throw it away if the first read's not there we'll kick a field goal or go to uh, go to go to sterling here but do not run do not run i mean they said it like five times he ran and so <laughs> as john gruden said back then the coaches got 8500 uh bonuses for division winning the division he's like hell i'm already counting that for my screened in porch and we're like don't run brett don't run. And he ran. And so <laughs> Gruden turns to Favre. He goes, why did you run? He goes, shit, I don't know. That's great. I, I, thought, I thought I saw something. <laughs> and it worked. He dove into the end zone. But it just goes to show you that Brett played off instinct. And I, and I see some of the same things in Jalen Hurts and in Blake Barnett. But what they have to be able to do is it's – and I'm, I'm tying this back into Coach Saban, uh, Thomas – is they have to uh, play with discipline. You, you've heard him mention that many times. Discipline, discipline, discipline. If you don't play with discipline and you turn the ball over, in other words, Brett Favre, as great as he is, he could not play for Nick Saban. Well, he could have played for Nick Saban, but Nick Saban would have his head would have exploded oh, it by was, about a year. His head would have exploded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a year and a half ago, Nick Saban would just like combust on the sideline. <laughs> and, I mean, and, just, and you could, you, I could see like Kirk Herbstreet. Hmm, that's a very high flame. Obviously, he's frustrated with his quarterback. To I the mean, call of Nick Saban's explosion. <laughs> uh, like I say, any of our listeners out there, if you have not seen Brett Favre and Gruden, go back and look at the early parts of his career. You need to go ahead and do it. It's great football, and I mean, it's one of my favorite coaches of all time and then well one of my favorite players i still have a brett Favre jersey in my closet but but uh you know but still i mean it's it's a it, it, not everybody can be brett Favre, but i'm just saying with these young quarterbacks and jalen hurts and and blake barnett i think both of them have awesome potential i just think the mobility aspect and the when you're looking at a guy like deshaun watson and what he can do to defenses thomas that's what I see with the Jalen Hurts and his potential. You know, you, you mentioned Clemson, and I have to get a shot in at Auburn because yeah. this has been driving me insane. Like, there is a belief that Auburn's going to hang around with Clemson, and I don't see it. And it's not because I'm an Alabama fan. It's because I have a functioning brain. <laughs> Clemson's offense very fresh off 11 days rest, put up 40 against Alabama. And those weren't, you know, there wasn't like a punt return touchdown or something. That was all offensive points for the Clemson Tigers against Alabama. Okay, fast forward one year. 
from reports, Deshaun Watson is 15 pounds, like 15 pounds of muscle stronger, better able to withstand the season, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Mike Williams is back, arguably his best wide receiver. Wayne Gallman, back. The rest of the wide receivers, back. In order to beat Clemson this year, you're either going to have to be a defense that is so far ahead of the curve, a la what Florida State could be this year, a la what Alabama could be this year, a la what LSU could be this year, that you can hold them to 30 to 40, or your offense has to score 50. Auburn is neither of those things. I think Auburn's coming for a whooping on Sunday, or Saturday, excuse me, because this Clemson team, if Dabo Sweeney unleashes Deshaun Watson and just lets it rip, Dabo Sweeney harkens back to when he played against Auburn. It's just like, I want to beat the snot out of these boys. Bar the door. Well, there's only one thing that bothers me. All the talent Clemson lost on defense. And Dabo has won his last two against Auburn. But sometimes Dabo seems sleepwalk. But you're right. With the wide receivers back and with Gallman, who, no, they don't talk enough about Gallman, and the offensive line, you're correct. I think Clemson should score in the 30s at least and win this game and win it pretty comfortably. Uh, you know, I've still got them winning by a touchdown because I think they're going to have some fits and starts, and I think Auburn's going to use some emotion and some, uh, you know, and, and some uh, uh, and, and pull a couple of uh, trick plays out of their rear end to stay in it. Some of the misdirections and the and the motions and everything will, will confuse. They'll confuse Clemson a little bit, but. I would say I'm gonna go. I'm still gonna go with a a round of the seven points, but I, I I'll, I'll say Auburn's gonna find a way to score, and it'll be something like 38 uh, to 28 or 38 31 somewhere in that in that regard. But Clemson will find a way to survive because if they don't, Dabo can flush the Alabama job down the toilet. Okay, oh, that I think it's gonna be closer to two touchdowns minimum. If he wants just... to be in a few years, you know, to replace Coach Saban. I will say this, though, in, about Alabama. I, I like Alabama in the game against Southern Cal. And you, there's so many unknowns. You don't know how they're going to run the ball. You don't well, know. Why don't, we, don't, why don't we keep our thoughts on Southern Cal on the back end of this Aaron Suttles audio? And we well, can yeah, close we, we with can USC. Why, why, why don't we just – I'm calling audible. I've come to the line of scrimmage, changing the play a little bit. Why don't, why don't you introduce this Aaron Suttles audio? We can, we can both of us can take a breather because we just kind of let it rip for about an hour, which was absolutely entertaining for me. But we can take a breather, come back, close the show with USC. Sound good? Sounds good. Uh, this is a conversation I had this morning on my daily radio program, Talking Ball, that it, just in case some of our listeners may not have heard. Aaron Suttles of TideSports.com sat down with me to uh, discuss uh, the uh, depth chart in uh, Nick Saban's press conference uh, from yesterday and uh, his expectations on this Alabama football team uh, and where it stands and his prediction for the opener. And you've uh, continued to work your way up the ladder uh, to where you are today. Congratulations to you, sir. And uh, it was great that you paid homage to a lot of people that have helped you out. Yeah, I appreciate that, Drew. Just just got to thinking it was 10 years since I took a chance and made an unsolicited phone call to the Tuscaloosa News and literally said I'd, I'll sweep the floors if you just let me – come be around the sports department and fortunately they fortunately for me they had a spot open for um for a call taker and basically i took high school sports phone calls for for a year and a half before i got my first 
first story, and, and I, my philosophy was I'm never going to say no for an opportunity. If you tell me you want me to do something, I'm going to say yes, regardless of what I have to, to do to make it happen. I'm going to do it. And you know, I, I knew what I wanted to do with my life, and fortunately, God put me in a position to, to meet some people that were able to, to help me facilitate that. And it's just, I um, can't believe it's been 10 years. It's been a fun ride, and just wanted to take some time today to thank the people that made it happen. Yeah, and uh, it's what's also uh, what I've always loved about the Tuscaloosa News too is so many of those guys have been there for such a long time. It's uh, the old Sabinism, uh, Aaron, consistency in performance. Yeah, you know I love the fact. Um, you know I've had a, other opportunities to go elsewhere, but I love living in a small town like Tuscaloosa. I love um, the people I work for mainly. You know Cecil Hurt, Tommy Dees just quality people that I know if they tell me something, I have their word. And that means a lot to me. And I'm a very loyal person. And Tommy took a chance on me um, and hired me as his high school uh, sports writer when he first got the job. You know, I was still working part-time there. And then when he got the job, he hired me full-time. I'll never forget that. And I'm, I'm a very loyal, loyal person. Yeah, you really are. And uh, you've done an outstanding job. And, and speaking of that, uh, uh, you uh, you guys were breaking that story this morning. We've talked about it a little bit. Shank Taylor, uh, not unexpected that the charges were dropped when you kind of looked at some of the circumstances behind it. Uh, how do you now? How how do you think that's going to affect his future uh, as far as uh, with the Crimson Tide, Aaron? I don't think he'll be suspended. I never thought, hmm. you know, after listening to Nick Saban, I didn't think he'd be suspended. I, and I don't think he's not starting Saturday because of anything to do with this arrest. I think it's solely because of his conditioning. And his play, he's basically lost his job due to that. And um, I think he'll travel with the team, I would imagine, to Dallas. And right now he's second on the depth chart that was handed out yesterday. He's going to have to win that job back. But now that they've moved Ross to right guard, that's going to be difficult uh, difficult for Shank to do. And then your thoughts on the offensive line and what they've had to do in these last couple of weeks with this shifting. Yeah, it's interesting. You don't normally see this kind of shift this late in, into game preparation, but I think what it does is that, you know, Ross is a guy that learned all the offensive line calls, you know, when he moved to center. The center's got to know all the calls for all five positions. And so from that aspect, now all it is for Ross is just learning the different side. And, um, now learning to play next to Jonah, who's already kind of playing – next to Bradley, although on a different spot. So Bradley Bozeman is, a, is a, one of the strongest kids on the team. Um, not as athletic as Ryan Kelly. Doesn't have the footwork uh, that Ryan Kelly had. But, but Bradley's a strong guy. And, um, you know, I'm interested to see now that they have Rice on, uh, rather Ross on the right side of that offensive line, if it, how, how much better it can be this year. Because I thought there were times last year the right side of that offensive line um, did not play well and got manhandled in certain situations. And then uh, with Ross's intelligence, do you think it's going to help him uh, bring Jonah Williams along because he's so intelligent, as you said, knows all the calls and can kind of help Jonah uh, grow as a player? I do. You know, I, I think when Jonah stepped on campus, everyone just raved about him from everything I heard. And Jonah's a guy that really could play if they wanted him to any of the five offensive line positions. And in fact, I do think they thought a little bit about about moving him to center, moving Jonah to Celia center, 
moving Ross back to the left guard and then moving Lester Cotton, Cotton to right tackle. But they just felt like if Jonah could handle it, they'd, they'd prefer to keep Lester at left guard, and it worked out that way. But, yeah, I think having a, a veteran offensive lineman beside a true freshman is always a good thing. Um, you know, Jonah's tremendously talented, but it's a big undertaking to put any true freshman at on either at left or right tackle in the SEC. So I think he's got tremendous talent. There's going to be a little bit of growing pain. But for the most part, I think it will be an upgrade from last year. Yeah, I think it will. I think the right side has a chance to be an upgrade, no question about it. Uh, and I think Ross, uh, as you said, it, but the one thing you might have a slight worry about is uh, he's making the transition. He played 15 games at left guard last year, spent so much time at center, now he hasn't had as many reps at right guard. Is there a concern there in your mind? Oh, absolutely. You know, anytime – that's what I mentioned earlier, you know, just happening this this close to the game, ideally you would have wanted to make that move at the beginning of fall camp. Hmm. It just didn't work out that way. So they wanted to give him as many reps as possible, but um, there's only so many reps between now and Saturday. and um, It kind of is what it is right now, but I think it's definitely a concern – but the good thing is he's got experience playing. So I think he'll pick it up quicker than rather than a guy who's just being inserted as a starter for the first time. And then your thoughts on the quarterback position. Uh, a little bit surprising to a lot of people that Jalen Hurts uh, wasn't uh, more prominently mentioned by Coach Saban as far as playing in the first game, of course, uh, with all the buzz we've heard about him. You've seen Jalen Hurts. He's been very impressive uh, to you, to your uh, – uh, your eye when you've uh, watched him, especially in that open practice on fan day. Just, but your thoughts on what Coach Saban said about the quarterbacks yesterday? Well, it was. I was completely not. I wouldn't say shocked. I was surprised. I did expect Jalen flying with those guys, and, and Nick Saban clearly said that we're planning to play two quarterbacks, and Jalen wasn't one of those guys. Um, but when asked specifically about Jalen, you know, Coach Saban kind of went into his thought process. It's not an issue of talent with Jalen. Right. It's an issue of basically game management. In other words, recognizing that there's not five guys on the offense or six guys on the off, on the line of scrimmage, you know, not getting the illegal formation penalty, not being able to move a running back uh, if the running back's lined up in the wrong spot or being able to point out blitz protection. Those are the things that will come. It just takes time. And I still, I, I, he hasn't ruled out Jalen Hurts playing this year. He didn't come out and say it. But I still think he's going to play. He may not play Saturday, but I would—I'll say this: I'd be very surprised if they don't try to get him some some playing time if he doesn't play against Southern Cal. Now, if if he doesn't play versus Southern Cal, I do think my opinion right now still is that I think he'll play versus Western Kentucky some uh, in the second game. I, I, he might even get some playing time against Southern Cal, but it depends on how that game goes. If it's a close game, they're not going to play. But I would be surprised if we don't see him. Western Kentucky. That said, I'm anxious to see Blake Barnett in a game situation. I mean, Nick Saban talked extensively yesterday about some guys aren't practice players. Some guys are more game players. There's, no one has ever doubted Blake Barnett's skill set. Um, he, since he's added the weight, he's got the size, he's got the arm strength, he's got the athletic ability, he's got the charisma that people naturally follow him. He's a natural-born leader. With Blake, it's always been taking care of the football. And if he can take care of the football, Alabama might have their next quarterback. But he hasn't shown that with any consistency in any of their scrimmages over the last two years. So maybe he's just a game 
maybe the light comes on for him during games. It'll be interesting to see him. I think we're all anxious. We've seen Cooper Bateman. We've never seen Blake Barnett in the game. I think we're all anxious to see what Blake can do. With uh, the comments Coach Saban made about Cooper Bateman yesterday, do you still expect him to take the first snap? Yeah, I do. It just And I think it comes down to experience. And I think – I'm not trying to knock Cooper at all. Right. Um, young man's done everything that's asked of him. He stayed in the program, waited his turn. He's done everything possible that's been asked of him. But he is limited from a um, – I don't want to say they're waiting for someone to beat him out, but it almost feels like they're waiting for those other two guys to get more experience than Cooper. So the experience is not an issue, and then it becomes just a talent-on-the-field issue. Uh, now, that said, if, if Cooper can use some of his athletic ability, you know what we were expecting to see again versus Ole Miss, that he, Ole Miss that he never did last year, maybe he steps up and they can run enough of that offense to make him um, – enough of a game manager to play the alley with defense and, and win football games. But if, if the running game isn't as good as last year, we're still waiting to see what Nick Saban meant by the lack of consistency in the running game. If they can't lean on the running game and they have to rely on Cooper Bateman's arm, I don't think that's a recipe for success in this offense. And then your thoughts on this running game, uh, and we saw the depth chart uh, Bo Scarborough bracketed with Damian Harris, but it looks as though we may see four guys Saturday in. I'll be surprised if we don't, honestly, Drew. I think, you know, Nick said Bo's going to get – Bo's going to be 1A, Damian's going to be 1B, and depending on how they go, um, that's going to be the running back rotation. But I'll, I'll be surprised if we don't see B.J. Emmons, and I'll be surprised if we don't see Joshua Jacobs in some role. I think both of them probably might play special teams. Um they're going to want to get them carries because everyone knows what a talent Bo Scarborough is. But I think by now everyone everyone also realizes his durability could be an issue, and you can't wait to get these other guys experience. You got to start getting them experience now. Yeah, you really do. And then uh, it, and with a quarterback situation, their job should be easier in the games because of the wide receiver group they have. Thought it was interesting, uh, Travis Ryer, uh, of course, pointing it out. Uh, the, the ex-wide receiver, you had Robert Foster bracketed with Calvin Ridley. A little interesting there. Yeah, they've got so much talent. And <laughs> the beauty of what Lane Kiffin does, and I don't think people realize it, you got to kind of get really into the X's and O's of it, is his, the way he creates matchups. These matchups just don't occur. He, he, can, he can shift a wide receiver to get the most favorable matchup on the field, and he does that on the fly. Like, he can – call an audible, looking at his quarterback on the fly, uh, and move these wide receivers to make it incredibly difficult for a defense to match up. Because now, it's not just Calvin Ridley. It's not just our Darius Stewart. You got Gary Dieter, who uh, can be a factor in this offense. And if Robert Foster is healthy, I think he's another game-breaking type wide receiver with elite speed. <laughs> what are you going to do if you put Calvin and, and Robert on one side of the field? You can't double them both. Um, and, and Lane Kiffin will find a way to get those matchups um, to get you get, get your most vulnerable corner or safety matchup against one of those guys, and he's going to go at you. I mean, he's proven over the last two years. He knows how to create matchups. He knows how to get the ball in his best player's hands, and he's not scared to do it over and over and over again. If you can't defend it, he's going to wear you out with it. And then uh, we, we know uh, that it, it looks like 
that uh, they're going to use multiple tight ends this year. Uh, I think that's a position that doesn't get – O.J. Howard is, of course, the bell cow, uh, but Brandon Green has made strides uh, as a blocker. He's never going to be a huge part of the receiving uh, uh, package, but he can catch the football. Uh, and then uh, I think we, we saw – we've seen Irv Smith in some situations as a blocker. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of mix and match those guys and, if they, and, and how many they play uh, if they do some two tight end sets. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. You think about it, Drew, going from last year to this year. Last year, not a lot of depth at all at tight end. And this year, you bring in two true uh, two freshmen, and, and Brandon Green is back with the tight end. And now at the position, you've got, you know, four or five really solid players. And I know that you never want to depend on true freshmen to play, but I really like what Irv Smith can do. Mm-hmm. I think he can be an H-type back. He's really athletic. Uh, he can block. Uh, Miller Forstall's got the size, and, and one day he's going to be, um, you know, Brian Vogler type in this offense. And with Brandon Green, what you basically have is a third tackle on the field. Yeah. And, and good luck, you know, good luck if you're a defensive end or linebacker trying to, you know, trying to deal with Cam Robinson and <laughs> Brandon Green, and you got Bo Scarborough coming at you. So um, uh, it's it just wild how last year it went from a position where there was kind of a, I don't want to say it was a weakness, there was not a lot of depth there, to this year you got several good players over there. And then your thoughts on what we saw in the defensive depth chart. I know you were one of the first to make note of Raquan Davis not being on there, but that's probably having to do with his eligibility situation. Yeah, he's a guy that you have to think, um, unless Joshua Frazier has really made that next step, you, you, I would tend to think he's at least right there with, with Josh Frazier on that second line at nose guard behind uh, Deron Payne. Um, I still think it's a situation they're waiting to hear back from the NCAA. And, you know, you're in game mode prep now. You're in game install. If you don't know if you have a guy available, you can't really insert him into your lineup or make plans for having him. So how much of him not being on the 2D is out of necessity because you don't know if you're going to have him or if he's really not earned uh, a spot on the 2D remains to be seen. But I do think Alabama is reaching a point, and I do expect they, they think they're going to hear something today or tomorrow. But I think Alabama's getting a little frustrated with how long this uh, NCAA ruling has taken. Yeah, it really is. It's been a little frustrating. I would have thought they would have already heard something. Uh, I saw the tweet from Wayquan yesterday that it basically it was all in God's hands now. We will see uh, what happens. But uh, just were you surprised that there weren't more true freshmen on the defense, or were there, or there as many as you were anticipating? You know, it's just so talented on that side of the ball. Um, it's hard to break in. You know, the, the best spot for a freshman to play is probably one of the most complex positions to play on Alabama's defense, and that's a defensive back. Uh, you know, Shaheen Carter's on the 2-D. Yeah. Uh, Trevon Diggs is on the 2-D. So those are a couple guys, especially Trayvon, just really made a name for himself um, as a true freshman coming in. Like, this wasn't a guy that came in. He didn't enroll early. He just got here during the summer and has impressed so much <laughs> and such an athlete that they've said, hey, we would love for you to be a wide receiver. But that's kind of a position this year of a strength for us. We're going to use your athleticism and ask you to play safety. I expect, and, and this may be just reading too much into the situation, but right now they got Hootie Jones as mm-hmm. the safety in uh, dime looks. They bring Ronnie Harrison down as the money back in dime. And they've got Hootie Jones as the safety back there with Eddie. 
I'd be surprised at some point if Trayvon, once he learns the defense, doesn't take that spot over. And also don't forget, he's a guy that is the second kick returner. He's the right there with Calvin as a punt returner. He's a guy that's going to uh, – people are going to get familiar with very, very quickly the name Trayvon Diggs. Yeah, he's really impressed Coach Saban, you can tell. And uh, he even mentioned him at wide receiver. But it's going to be very hard for him to break in over there right now because uh, of all right. the talent uh, there. Uh, I think another unsung guy on the defensive line, it's going to be very crucial for them to develop some depth. You talked about um, Raquan Davis' uh, uncertainty. Uh, you talked about Joshua Fraser. I still think, and I, and I took some heed from it, from the what, some comments he made in the spring, but one guy that could, he's not going to play a ton of snaps, but he could still be valuable as Dakota Ball. Oh, absolutely. That's a, that's a good point. You know, he's a guy that was one of those guys moved to tight end to help give them some depth last year. Um, he's a guy that, that's been working a lot with the second team. And, uh, you know, they're going to have to have a rotation of guys. They, I think they realized last year how valuable that was to keep their defensive front seven fresh was rotating just wave after wave. And uh, Dakota Ball will play. And it's hard to get an assessment on his play because we haven't really seen him play defensive line that much, if at all. Uh, I believe this is his fifth year in the program. Uh, maybe it's only four, but it feels like he's been yeah. here forever. He, he dealt with a couple injuries early in his career. He's moved around positions. Um, he's been a, about as good a teammate as you can be. Anytime a guy moves position for the betterment of the team, that says a lot about them. They're not being selfish, and that's something Dakota Ball has done. And now this may be his time to, to get some playing time on the field. I'm anxious to see how he'll play because we really haven't seen him much at defensive line. Yeah, we really haven't. Uh, and then uh, linebacker is obviously a loaded position. There's been some concern about uh, Rashawn Evans since he had the concussion, has not been seen in the media viewing period working with the nickel package. Uh, but there's been no uh, comment about his availability, so it would seem to be he will be good to go Saturday. What's the thoughts there? The Alabama wants him on the field, but they're all obviously going to – the player safety is going to take um, take precedent over anything else. And as you mentioned, we when we, he's been fully dressed, but he's just not really been doing a lot during practice the last few days. So we'll see. Maybe it's the situation that he's doing some stuff when we leave practice. That could be certainly the case. But he's he's going to be a, a linebacker in their nickel, um, in their nickel and dime look. He'll be out there. He's too fast, and he's too much of an athlete not to. And there's some feeling that it's only a matter of time uh, before he takes over Sean Dion in the base. So they want him on the field. He's part of that um, that quickness that uh, people saying Nick Saban's fast defense at Alabama. You know, Rashawn Evans is a big part of that, and they need him on the field. Uh, and it, depending on his availability, I guess we'll find out. You know, I might ask Nick Saban about that Wednesday night. And depending on how we see Rashawn the next couple of days in practice, yeah, absolutely. he 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 would be a big factor defensively. He was uh, he'd been tremendously productive on a day, and I thought he looked good uh, in the open practice. And then uh, I know he was having a good scrimmage before, as you said, he got dinged up. But they're being cautious. Uh, and Aaron, uh, finally, and we thank you for uh, being on with us on Talking Ball today. Uh, we, I know you've been analyzing and thinking about it. Uh, have you uh, made a decision on your pick for the game Saturday? Yeah, I'm going to pick Alabama. You know, I haven't really – I haven't determined a final score yet. I, I just – I know there's been a lot of talk recently about USC feels much better about defensive line and front seven than it did previously. But I, I just 
I think that's where the game is going to be decided. That's where it's always decided is in the trenches. Can you stop Alabama's run? If you can, if they can stop Alabama's run and they make the quarterback first-time starter, regardless of who it is, if it's um, Cooper Bateman or Blake Barnett, whoever's out there, uh, has to make plays with their arm, then that is not a success, I think, for consistency in Alabama's offense. But if Bo Scarborough and Damian Harris and B.J. Emmons and those guys get rolling in Alabama's offensive line, um, wears them out, then I just I don't know how USC can score enough on Alabama's defense to keep it real close. I, right now, I think it's a 10-14 point game. So about uh, you think the point spread is accurate. Well, Aaron, uh, we always appreciate the conversation. Let everybody know where they can read your stuff and connect with you. And, of course, uh, the outstanding radio program you now host on Tide 102.9. And that was Aaron Settles of TideSports.com. Earlier this morning, giving his thoughts on the Crimson Tide. Always interesting perspective and opinion from Aaron. Uh, yes, certainly. And uh, very, much, very, very needed firsthand perspective from Aaron yep. and uh I think I think his his pick for USC is pretty spot on I'll be honest I'm, I might give USC another touchdown but not much more than that <laughs> gonna have to be honest Drew but you know how do you see USC I, I, I'll give my thoughts at the very end I, I'll claim that as the producer I'll claim that right <laughs> Well, you know, I, I think they've got a pretty good football team. Uh, you know, we we heard them talk about Justin Davis and uh, and Ronald Jones at tailback, uh, two headed monster. Jones, a big play guy. Alabama's going to have to tackle him well. Juju Smith Schuster, probably a future first rounder. They're going to have to do a good job on him. With I'm going to be interested to see if they move Marlon Humphrey around or if they try to give Averett a shot at him. Uh, what they really do, um, but. They're, you know, because I think USC will try to be balanced, but I do think they're going to try to run the ball, uh, and because they have to. Matt, you know, Max Brown hasn't played in the game. He's a talented player, but he still has never played uh, in a real game. And I think it also plays to Alabama's strength. You know, they may use Darnold in some packages, but I think it's still mostly going to be uh, Max Brown, and and he's not really a mobile guy. So Alabama should be able to get a pass rush against him. Uh, but, you know, I really think uh, the USC has some talent, but I'm still going with Alabama. Um, I, you know, my, my gut tells me that Alabama is going to find a way, maybe a punt return uh, from Calvin Ridley, uh, perhaps a pick six. Minka always seems to be around the ball, but I think Alabama is going to pull away in the second half, but I do think it's going to be a very tough game, and uh, a really tough football game. I'm along the lines of 28-17 tied. Well, for me, uh, I, I was outspoken saying, mentioning the USC defensive line and how, you know, listening to the, there's been the pleasant surprise. I, I'm not, I'm not really backing off. I think it's, I think the 10 to 14 point win is, is solid. I really think that you're going to see a crazy look from Alabama, particularly along the left side of the offensive line. And I mean that in a good way. I think in terms of run blocking, it doesn't get much better than Cam Robinson, Lester Cotton. Assuming Lester Cotton lives up to all the all the hype and all the things you heard about him that really made you excited for him as a prospect. So I, I think Alabama's offense will be able to move the ball. I don't think I think move the ball at will is a little bit of a stretch, but I, I kind of buy into the, the narrative or the thought process that Alabama's defense is so good that it's going to make any offense look bad. So I think 
Alabama's offense is going to be just fine. And here's the problem with that no huddle check with me setup that uh, that is that USC is thought to run an off on offense now. Well, Alabama's defense is going to be built to stop that sort of thing. That's what you get with speed and athleticism. It might not be as bulky, but it will be able to move. It will be able to move, and it will be a swarm of killer, very fast elephants. So I think USC is going to find it real, real tough sledding. I know Max Brown has a ton of talent around him. I mean, good Lord, if he's the only new starter on the offense, excuse me, with the notable exception of now Chad Wheeler, the left tackle who's been struggling for the USC offensive line. But I just, I'm sorry. I know USC's talented, but I'm going to go with proven track record. Alabama comes in and at least for the first game of the year under Nick Saban, the first marquee game, they are fired up and they really put a whooping on that first opponent. I'm going to go, I'm actually going to mirror the, I'm going to go 38-17. I think it's going to be ugly. I really do. I think you're absolutely right where it's going to be a tough game for a little bit, but I don't think USC is going to be able to maintain against Alabama, and that's where Alabama is going to pull away. Yeah, it's good. that may very well happen. You're 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 more along the lines of Michigan Alabama in 2012. Well, it, well, if you remember that Michigan team, everyone was like, "Oh my God, it's it's got a chance to challenge Alabama." Didn't even belong on the field with Alabama that day. Or you know, going even further back, Clemson. Clemson Alabama is going to be a hell of a game. That was not a hell. Well, it was a hell of a game if you're an Alabama fan. It was not a hell of a game for anybody else involved. So I'm just I'm not. I'm banking on Nick Saban doing what Nick Saban has been able to do historically for openers. And is USC arguably better than those other openers? I mean, you could you could build an argument, it, at least in terms of pure star power. But I mean, I, I will I will go with knowledge of past behavior informing my decision. And if something else happens, well, you know, I've been wrong a bunch this week, so I might as well add one more to the stack. <laughs> Well, you know, again, I'm intrigued, as I just got through telling uh, someone. uh, This Alabama opener has more uh, just uh, unknowns, uh, probably, uh, since since 2007. And by that, I mean, you knew John Parker Wilson was coming back. He had started in 06, but – and had some success, but you didn't know who, you know, so you knew he would be the quarterback under Saban more than likely. Uh, you wanted to see, you know, how he would uh, operate. But Terry Grant had redshirted. You hadn't seen him. He was heavily recruited. Um, and, and then you didn't really know how Alabama's defense was going to look under Saban. It was going to be a different scheme. But the main difference is, uh, of course, now that Saban's 10 years in, this squad is much, much more talented uh, than that one. Right, and, and USC is uber-talented. I, I think the the idea from Ryan earlier saying that Alabama and USC are the only two programs that have had a four-star or higher rating in the past several cycles, I mean, th- there is something to that. USC has recruited very well, but no one has proven that they are the equal to the Alabama machine, with the notable exception of Ole Miss over the past two years. 
So I, I'm going to just side with the machine right now, quite honestly. I, I, know, I, see, I hear what you're saying with unknowns, but, I mean, I was listening to College Football Live on ESPN at some point in this past week, and the question of Alabama quarterbacks, is it an issue? And the panel actually went so far as to say, no, it isn't, because Alabama is just that crazy talented. So I'm going to go with the machine, Drew, to be honest. <laughs> okay, I'm still going to go – with Cooper Bateman taking the first snap, but uh, he and Barnett playing, what is your take on the quarterback situation? I I actually like the idea that it is once again, Cooper Bateman's job to lose. I think he will take that first snap and what happens from there. Quite frankly, I have no idea. (laughs) I mean, I I think they're really, they're, they're, Two two real scenarios, and but they're, they're, you can make them pretty much all encompassing. Cooper Bateman is mediocre to if Cooper Bateman is mediocre to good, it's his job. I think that's what the coaches want. This is his chance to seize the team, and if he does, it's his job. He wins. Blake Barnett loses. If he is bad, or if he makes a couple of costly mistakes, and. I don't even think we're talking catastrophic mistakes like a pick six or a fumbled scoop and score. If he's having trouble getting the team into the right plays, adjusting the protections needed for USC's aggressive schemes under Clancy Pendergast, I think he could play himself out of the job again. And that's when Blake Barnett would step in and the whole cycle would start over again. But I think instead of Blake Barnett seeding to Cooper Bateman again, that's when you might hear, might have to make the coaching staff might have to make a decision. Excuse me, where do we bring Jalen Hurts in, even though he is somewhat limited in his abilities to adjust just protections? You know, so I think there's at this point there's a pecking order in the quarterback race, but there's no it's not set in stone. Cooper Bateman could lose the job or win the job this upcoming Saturday, as could Blake Barnett, and quite frankly, as could Jalen Hurts. It all depends on the situation. And the thing about that that whole thing is nobody's going to know if Cooper Bateman adjusts the wrong protection. I mean, you'll know if he gets blown up, but that's a much harder thing to tell when you're watching it on television or when you're watching it from the stadium. So I think that's going to be a lot harder to get your get your head's wrapped around as a fan base. And that's where this confusion with Cooper Bateman, Blake Barnett, Jalen Hurts that we've seen since Nick Saban announced it was a two-player race, that's just going to exacerbate it. But Nick Saban doesn't care. He's going to play the guy he thinks he can win him the game. So that's what I see the quarterback situation playing at, at least against USC. How far, how far off the beaten path am I on that one, Drew? Well, I mean, you're not far off. I mean – I do think it's going to be a competition in earnest probably until they go on the road to Ole Miss. Um, and uh, they'd like to have it decided at that point. You don't want to really – because Coach Saban is not a two-quarterback guy. They want to decide who's going to win the team. He keeps talking about that. And uh, and they want to see, uh, you know, how it, how it all shakes out. But I'll say this, too. Uh, I'm anxious to see this team play uh, because I really like the, the first unit on defense – you talk about the defensive line. You talk about uh, John Allen, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, uh, Daron Payne, and Deshaun Hand. Really good foursome there. Um, and then you talk about the linebacking group. 
I think it's going to be the best of the Saban era. You know, Rashawn Evans has been out of practice or, you know, been in the, during the media viewing period not doing a lot. I think it's because of the concussion. They're being precautionary. Uh, but I, you're going to see him alongside Reuben Foster quite a bit in the nickel. And then you're going to see Ryan Anderson. You're going to see Tim Williams. You're going to see Sean Dion play some, too. A uh, very, very good unit. I really like that. And uh, and then uh, and then the secondary, uh, several tech, you know, guys returning. When they go to nickel, you're going to see Anthony Averett. Uh, we'll see who, when he, once now that he gets thrown into the fire, how good is he? How good can he perform? He's been very patient as a redshirt junior. Uh, you're going to see him and Marlon Humphrey. And then Minka Fitzpatrick in the nickel. And then when they go to dime, you're going to see – uh, Ronnie Harrison moved down to the money spot and kind of play closer to the line of scrimmage. Really good tackler. And you're going to see Hootie Jones play safety uh, with Eddie Jackson. Hootie makes me a little nervous because he's never been known as a big-time tackler. Many people, and you heard Aaron Settles during our earlier segment, say that the true freshman, Trevon Diggs, may eventually win that job. And Diggs is someone I'm wanting to watch, Tom. He's going to be on the first uh, team kickoff return with Ardarius Stewart, it looks like. He's a mercurial player. He was kind of un, you know, kind of overshadowed because of so many great players in his recruiting class, but he's going to play. Coach Saban's even uh, talked about him playing both ways, though wide receiver, as we know, is loaded. Uh, but really anxious to see him and, and see Calvin really is the punt returner. He's an electric talent. Uh, now let's see what he can do as a returning punt. I already referenced I think he could make a big play in the game. So uh, let's let's rock. Let's see what happens. I'm just anxious to see. Uh, some of these young players, and Shy Carter, how many reps does he get in the secondary? He's obviously was one of them on the depth chart. And another factor that could, uh, as far as the depth of the D-line, Thomas, we've got to see how this Raekwon Davis situation plays out. Uh, it has not been decided. Aaron Suttles uh, referenced that they're hoping to hear something by tomorrow. Yeah, that Raekwon Davis thing, I, I can understand, you know, well, after this Maurice Smith situation, sorry, I'm getting a little fired up here, but it better be uh, in Alabama's favor. You know, Sankey better, you know, get his ass in gear and let's roll here. You know, Alabama, uh, they, they, uh, they, they, they circumvented the rules to let the pecker head go to Georgia, so he's gone. Sheffield, uh, he cut and ran and went to Blinn Junior College because he's not tough enough to stay in the program and play. Now, we, let, let's see what's going to happen. Raekwon Davis did what he needed to do. Let's get this uh, course figured out and, uh, and give him a mulligan and get him in school and allow him to play and stop letting uh, these, uh, these, uh, these uh, mental midgets over in Mississippi at his high school that wanted him to take the money and run, be a rebel, or go to Mississippi State and never win a damn thing. Let him be eligible to, at Alabama to reach his potential uh, and become a first-round draft choice. Well, you know, this Raekwon Davis thing, it kind of strikes home to me because I am one of the few folks I actually got to tutor Alfie Hill. Yes, that's right, before he left. So l- let me put it to you this way. That situation was bull dinky. This situation, from what I understand with Raekwon Davis, also bull dinky. I'm tired of hearing about it. I think it's ridiculous if you were to force him to leave school at this point. I mean, he, he won't have to leave school. I want to. I want to. I want to make yeah, a please point cl- of that. clarify that. I'm sorry. I he apologize. does not have to do that now. If it, if he's ruled against him, they have this new rule about academic red shirts, and he will be able to go to class and practice, but he will not be eligible to play in a game. That's why right now he's not on the two deep. Okay, well, I, I misunderstood that. I was I, I I paralleled it too closely with Alfie. I'm watching Hill. the Peckerhead on TV right now. 
with a with trying to match a tie. Kirby Smart. Oh well, you know. He, he he won't be getting Christmas cards from Alabama fans anymore. But that's and I find it very interesting that he did not name Maurice Smith an out and out starter. He was an or on his web on his uh, debit chart this week. Well, Georgia has a pretty big game, so I, I don't I don't know it's what's going to happen McGraw. there. Yeah, go Tar Heels. <laughs> I need to get you and Murph in a room about this and just let it go, man. <laughs> No, Murph, actually, he and I talked about this, and it was – he was not happy. He took your stance as well, so. Well, okay, so what 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 is what is Murph's thoughts on Alabama-USC? Uh, he actually did a show with Trojan Sports that broke it down. I didn't have a chance to see everything with – I haven't listened to everything yet, but he thinks it's going to be a competitive game, but much like me, Alabama's just got the horses. Now, I don't think he, – he doesn't see it. 21 point win, but he sees Alabama winning. It's hard to bet against Nick Saban. Yeah. In this game, I mean, I I wish we had done a little. He and I had, had a chance to do a little more recording before the show, but time conspired against us. But he he sees it as a Bama win, not an enormous Bama win, but a Bama win just the same. Yeah. And and as do I. I think it's going to be a little bit closer. You you think uh, that Alabama is going to find a way to score more points, but and then they may very well. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. But it's just been uh, it, it's it's good. It's glad to finally have it here, and uh, it's time to finally buckle it up and play. And and again, I'm I'm anxious to see. Uh, I went over the defense. We know what we're going to get uh, special teams wise. We should with J.K. Scott. I'm not worried about Griffith. I think he'll be fine. We've already gone over the kind of the kickoff return. The yep. first unit's going to be Ardarius Stewart and and the freshman Trevon Diggs and Ridley during punt return. Anxious to see that. And then offensively, that's where all of the where you want to see all the questions answered. You want to see who plays quarterback, how productive are they, and then this offensive line. It's younger, but I think it's more talented. And and of course, it's so funny. A week ago, we we would we thought we knew what it was going to be, and they've uh, made the change with Bozeman. <laughs> and Ross Piercebaker at right guard. Uh, but you want to see Jonah Williams. How is he going to play as an 18-year-old in his first big-time game? Is he, you know, is he going to be a freak? And I think he will be. And then we know Cam Robinson is an elite player. You're anxious to see Lester Cotton. And, then, and, and I'm anxious to see all these running backs. I want to see Bo Scarborough. I want to see Damian Harris. Uh, I'm really high on Joshua Jacobs and his potential. I've been outspoken on radio programs, this one and others. Uh, that he would play this year and be a factor. I want to see him. I want to see Emmons. Uh, so I'm just anxious to see this this group as a whole. And Garrick Dieter. We really haven't brought up Garrick Dieter at all, Thomas. That's true. Uh, but finally get a chance to see him on the field in the slot and see what he can do and what he can bring this Alabama offense. But first of all, it, the quarterback situation has to be answered because, I mean, who's going to get – they have to have somebody to get these talented receivers the ball. But I just think overall it's, it's as, probably as – it's cautious optimism on my part, but it's probably as excited as I've been for an opener just because you don't know what to expect and you're hoping uh, that you're, you're going to like what you see. You've been, I, I, I'm still confident, but not as confident as I have been in years past because of all the youth. But uh, I'm, I'm still – I go back to Nick Saban and his coaching staff and Lane Kiffin. You know this team's going to be prepared to play. You just want to see, uh, you know, the answers to the questions uh, on Saturday. Absolutely, and uh, I get the feeling we will have those answers very soon. And I mean, shoot, football's back. 
football's back, and I'm uh, even even outside of Alabama, football's back, and I can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. The three biggest questions to me to be answered: quarterback, how are they going to perform at that position? Uh, in your and the running backs, because there's not a proven guy. I actually think the offensive line is going to be okay, but it's quarterback and running back on offense, and then in the in, defensively. How is this secondary going to perform against Juju Smith-Schuster with some uh, with a couple of new pieces and uh, and of course some co- some coaching staff turnover on the defensive side of the ball? But I think those are the three questions that you're really wanting to see answered and very anxious to see it. Can this defense be can make make a statement if they hold, if they really dominate this game? There will be a lot of buzz about them being better than last year on the defensive yep. side of the ball. It, it's certainly within the realm of possibility, but we won't know until Saturday night. Saturday night. Well, Thomas, Dallas. it's been great. Uh, good luck and safe journey to Dallas, Texas, my friend. Roll Tide, everyone, and we hope you enjoyed BAM's radio tonight. It's time to do what you love, and Guitar Center can help at the Labor Day Savings Event. With up to 30% off guitars, amps, drums, keys, DJ, and more, get a five-piece SPL drum kit or a Simmons five-piece electronic drum kit your choice, just $3.99, a Casio 88-key digital piano, $2.99, or a Fire Dynamic vocal mic for $29. And don't forget to grab your copy of The List in-store with deals on major brands too low to advertise. Summer may end, but your music doesn't have to. Guitar Center's Labor Day Savings Event, going on now, in-store and online.